Some stories are just so good, they're worth telling again and again. But that'd be fucking lazy. So this time, we're going to say it took place in the South or some shit, because it only needs to be 10% different to avoid copyright. This week, we're talking about some modern retellings. Is it really only 10% difference? Yeah, I learned that in, uh, I think, middle school or high school. You can pretty much steal anything if you just make it 10% different. I do want to say I don't think anybody holds copyright claims to some of these books. Uh, Yeah, I'm pretty sure the Odyssey is is past the statute of limitations for that. Uh, Part of Darkness, maybe. Came out in 1899. Okay, you know, that was just a little bit past. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Isn't Mickey Mouse entering copyright soon? Yeah. Yeah, that'll be good. I can't. Tyler, listen, me and you, we had that idea. Or I have, you know, I've told you about that idea. Yeah, you did. We got plans for Mickey. But not any of the other characters. Well, you just need Mickey. You just need the mouse and everything else comes after. Yeah. Yeah, Then then you wait a while and you introduce them. The mouse never forgives. The mouse never forgives. (laughs) No, literally never. Tyler, stand closer to your mic. I was. Okay, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> thank you guys for joining us at three two one binge i'm chris i'm your host joined by my one of my co-hosts Faison. yep and by the you child version of jordan Go- gordon levitt uh, I, I fucked it up yeah i could forgot I his name that. i, 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 I would have taken that i forgot his name damn it how's it going everybody that guy. That guy. Yeah. And this week, we're talking about uh, some modern retellings. So, and, effectively... And by modern, uh, some of these movies are not modern. Yeah, uh, we use the term modern loosely here. We don't actually... I mean, in comparison to what they're based off of, I'd say it's relatively modern. Yeah. I mean, uh, sure, our, rule is, our rule is there has to be 90 years between the source material and the, the, the remake. That's our rule that we just arbitrarily made up. That you did? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just arbitrarily made it up. <laughs> but if it works, it works. And sure. on that note, okay. yeah. <laughs> on that note, on that note, phase on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My I, I don't know. You just, you just, I thought you had something to say. You just went on that note, and I was like, "What?" Yeah, what, that was the worst what? segue ever. What was? Oh no, come on! It was clear. You guys got to. You got to. I thought, I thought your mic cut out. <laughs> no, I was saying <laughs> on that note to you because you did nothing. <laughs> You, I, I think that it was perfectly fine. And on that note, <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> our our our, uh, our first film that we're talking about today is Ten Things I Hate About You." It is the 1999 romantic comedy based off of "The Taming of the Shrew." Basically, Shakespeare's. Shakespeare. Yeah, Shakespeare. Yep. Okay, yeah, I had no idea. It follows Cameron Jones who is a new student at this high school and he becomes, he instantly falls in love with this sophomore Bianca. It's basically him just trying to get a date with her, but she can't date anybody because her father's super overprotective and won't allow her to date until her older sister, who's like a bitch to everybody gets a date. That's, that's a cold words to throw at. She's I a mean, girl, She's on. a little shithead. Wow! Shit. Oh, wow! I uh, wow! Okay, fighting words, fighting words from Faison. No, here. but like she, I don't know, man. It's like you know those people at school that just like feel the need to point everything out. Wow. Okay, this is an, this is gonna be an interesting conversation. But I thought this was gonna be a quick, you know, smooth through ten things I hate about. I mean, it, this was one, this was a normal intro. I mean, all right, all right. I, I'm just <laughs> doing it based off of the beginning when you first find out about her. Okay. Okay. 
that's it. Yeah, she be eventually becomes like a better like better character. Interesting, 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 interesting. I leave it at interesting. I mean, it's based off Taming of the Shrews, and she is the Shrew. Yeah, okay, t- yeah, but Taming yeah, of the Shrew. Shrew. Have, did either of you guys bother looking up a summary of Taming of the Shrew? No. By summary, okay, so I mean, I'm gonna, I'm there. gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come at you guys with that one in a little bit because uh, I think I no, I don't think I ever read Taming of the Shrew. <laughs> I read. I don't know. Hold on. Hey, 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 I did make sure to read a summary this time, though. Okay. 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 <laughs> I just am not sure what of Shakespeare I have or haven't read. I want to point out none of us had read any of the retellings except Chris. That's for, a lie. Yeah. Uh, what? What do you mean a lie? I, I'm giving you credit. No, I uh, think I, I'm pretty sure I read Heart of Darkness. I don't remember where though, but I'm I'm like relatively sure I read it. Wow, it just still became a lie. I'm glad I'm always right. What happened? Tyler was uh, saying, "How could I call him out for saying a lie?" Uh, when oh. it turns out, you had also read something, so that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Mate, again, all right. I was giving you credit, um, but fuck you, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I I read the Odyssey um, a couple of times, which is applicable for the second movie we'll talk about. And Tyler yeah. and Phazon has read Heart of Darkness, so that's fantastic. Didn't we also read the Odyssey in high school? I think we might have, or maybe did we in, read the Iliad in high class? School? Maybe it was the Iliad. I think that was. I think that was the Odyssey. I think that's one like, of the second, like the second time I read it. Like I'm pretty sure we read parts of it, but for the most part, I just know the stories from uh, movies more so than the actual the actual uh, text. Disney's 1999 Hercules is uh, Tyler's main way that he learned about Greek culture. <laughs> just watching that movie on loop. Come on, give me some credit. It was God of War, and Hercules is just like Kobe Bryant. Dead? What? <laughs> No! Oh my god, no. I actually meant to say um Oh god, not Kobe Bryant. I actually meant to Kratos? say someone else. Huh? What the hell were you going with the Kobe one? No, because because Hercules is like a metaphor for sport um endorsement. What's the name of that guy? Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was who I meant to say. <laughs> but then Phazon I'm... went and made it fucked. <laughs> it was oh. from the beginning. I gave you the God of War angle and then you and took then I it just this isn't on me. I'm actually innocent this time. All right. No, I, I mean, let's, no, go back I, to, let's go back to Shakespeare. Let's go back to Taming of the Shrew. Dig your grave I mean, right I'm, now. I, I, I'm no. I'm fine. You guys are. I don't know what the fuck Phazon's doing. He's the one going to hell. <laughs> no, Phazon. Oh, it, it was a factual statement. <sighs> so Taming of the Shrew is God, uh, Shakespeare's man. one of Shakespeare's many comedies. Oh my god. Um, before we talk about that, I guess we could talk about this movie itself. I'm I'm still reeling. <laughs> Uh, it's seven <laughs> minutes into the episode, and you already blew it up. You blew I didn't it up. No, no, no. Did you miss what I said? The Kobe, you know, I did. I'm just trying to put it on him. You can't okay. pin this on me. I actually didn't do anything wrong this time. <laughs> <sighs> but on that note, uh, oh fucking Christ, Ten Things I Hate About You is the best rom com, and I feel like that just kind of works. That's a pretty blanket statement that I'm willing to say here. Yeah, I can't. I mean, I can't say I've really seen that many rom coms. I've seen a handful. I, I have liked mm, a decent chunk of them. And this I is watch. Them. Yeah, this is probably the best one out of the few I've seen. I Tyler, don't seen movies. Rom coms not that many, but like I it, it's I enjoyed it. It's good. Is Palm Springs a rom com? Uh, kind of Yeah, right. Mm, we it's, and Tyler were debating if that was even a comedy for a moment there. Well, it, it's comedic. It's comedic. It's kind of what we landed on. I feel like it was a rom com. 
it, I think you it, could, it, you it could treads a line. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it walks a line. But romantic comedy in the in the uh, typical sense is yeah. I haven't seen many. Got found Tyler's blind spot. This is why your letterbox score isn't uh, isn't big enough. Yeah, I mean it's kind of weird watching rom coms when you're single, Chris. All right, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Chris. Hey, who am I going to watch it with myself? You know how depressing that is? <laughs> All right, you know what? Oh, what's right, this I'm... movie? Oh, happy people. <laughs> All right, then. Well, <laughs> I really am the bad guy today. I don't know how, but I really wasn't going into this one being the bad guy. I wasn't even going to give my hot takes till later, but okay, then. I like uh, this movie. I think it's a really fun movie. Yes, I did watch it with my girlfriend. Fuck both of surprise. you. Sorry, you're single. <laughs> who would have ever thought? <laughs> not my problem um, <laughs> it's really good uh heath ledger is a fucking gem and yeah i think he's one of those like he's one of those actor deaths that like really hits when you watch his stuff you know yeah because like i yeah. feel like on average like this might sound a bit fucked but like a lot of times when actors die uh i can't say it's like it's like oh oh that's you know that's a shame but it's not like a it doesn't really like a real like oh man that's big big loss or anything but like heath ledger died so young and so in like the, I guess like prime of his career after yeah. just going off Joker or at, playing the role of Joker in in Dark Knight, uh, that it's like man, he's really he fucking good in everything he's he could have done he could have been he could have been in everything like everything that I've seen him in has been fucking great. Uh, obviously Dark Knight, I saw him in Night A Night's Tale, and I actually really like that movie, and specifically him in it, and he's kind of fucking fantastic in this and extremely charismatic and charming the entire time. So that's one of those things where it's like damn. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a what could have been thing. Yeah, yeah, truly. There's a decent amount of actors for that. He's definitely up there. Yeah, I'd say there's a fair amount that are like that are like that. He's he's yeah. I think I Heath mean, Ledger was probably the first that. for me though. Yeah. Like I mean, personally, that was like that made me think like, oh, look, what could, what else could he have done? You know? Yeah. yeah. He had he had so much range. Like truly, every time I watch him as the Joker, it still doesn't feel like him. No, his it, it boy... never feels like like Keith Ledger. You know, it feels like the Joker. Like... It feels like the Joker. <laughs> yeah. Like he truly uh, made that role com- completely into itself. You know, like if you watch a Joker, uh, you know it, it's Joaquin Phoenix. And, you know, I look at that and I see Joaquin Phoenix. I look at Heath Ledger's Joker and I cannot, for the life of me, see Heath Ledger. I, I just yep. can't. He's yep. he is he was so fucking talented, so good. Ah, it is a shame. It is a shame. Um, but you know, the rest of the cast is also really good. A lot of people in it. Yeah. A lot of, uh, later on big names like, um, Levitt, <laughs> Joseph, Joseph, Joseph Gordon, Gordon, Gordon Levitt. Yes. Joseph. I don't know why I'm struggling with that today, man. Yeah. Joseph uh, Gordon Levitt's in it. Uh, Allison Janney's in it for about half a second as the, uh, guidance counselor. Uh, David Krummeltz is in it and he's, everyone confuses him with Oscar Isaac cause they look alike. And I mean, like, you know what? I agree. I, agree. Yeah, I, I remember the it. first time I watched it. I'm like, is that little Oscar Isaac? Yeah. Every time I see him in something, I'm like, oh, wait, that's not that's not Oscar. He's yeah. just. Yeah. He's funny, though. He's, he's funny. He's funny in this, too. Yeah. Both of them. Yeah. That, both of them are funny. I mean, this uh, is a this is a really funny movie, I'd say. Yeah. yeah. It's It's got a very, like, brisk rate of joke. Like, it's kind of just like joke, joke, joke. Just it's pretty much constant. There's, there's always a, either a punchline or a setup or something happening at any given point that'll pay off in a bit. It reminded me of Mean Girls. I haven't seen Mean Girls, so I yeah, actually I've never seen it either. Yeah. 
it's good. It's good. It reminded me a lot of it because the joke structure is very similar to that. That's honestly kind of decent praise for Mean Girls. I guess I will get to that. It's, Actually, we will. Mean, we have it planned. Mean Girls is the type of movie. Like I remember in high school, um, uh, a lot of the girls uh, loved it, and like we constantly talk about, it, and they have the whole like Wednesday we wear pink thing, and. It's, for most of the time in high school, I'm like, okay, this is just going to be an annoying movie that's not as good as people think. And then I actually watched it back then. I'm like, oh, this does hold up. It actually does deserve the praise. That's fair. Okay. I mean, I, I've i heard good enough things from like people I've spoken to about it, which was reason enough to give it a look. But I guess it's it's good knowing the specific of what's good about it. I mean, I, I do. I find this movie to be pretty fucking hilarious. I, I find the jokes to be at a very at pretty much just a good rate there's i like there's not like too much physical humor and too much pun humor and too much this or too much that there's always like a nice variety of your kind of jokes going around yeah. mm-hmm. um so i think i think it has a really good balance of like different types of humor which makes it really fucking funny yeah and the story is it is taming of the true it's just uh yeah. gordon levitt immediately falling for this girl and making very uh, basic check honestly Chris, she's like, she's like fifteen. She's one. a basic ass fifteen year old. That ain't my problem. Not touching it. Not touching it. Come yeah, on, she's little, like so okay. Think like, about it. Think about how, it. How, I'm sorry. How? Wait, I'm, maybe I'm misunderstanding the use of the word basic here. But as far as I understand, it's just her person. I would only refers to her personality, correct? Right. Mm. Okay. Yeah, so maybe, I guess. Yeah, I'm just saying she's very like. I think they. What did they call her in the movie? They called her a different word for selfish. What was it? Conceited. Um, they called her conceited. What, uh, I, David Cromwell's character says. Yeah, Oscar Isaac says that. Sure. So I uh, I feel like that falls under the umbrella of basic behavior. Yeah, see, I thought you were going to go further with that. That's why I was trying to cut you no, off. No, 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 no. Jesus fucking Christ. Why do you guys think so low of me? I don't, don't answer that, but don't answer that. But <laughs> Chris, the hole you dug today is already three feet deep, so. I have done nothing wrong. That was all phase. Wouldn't you say it's six feet? Not there yet. I don't think Tyler. Got oh man, I, right over Tyler. Yeah, right That's over okay. Tyler's. What? What am I missing? I don't know what's right. going on. That's joke, okay. Moving joke, on. Tyler. Yeah, I know. I see it. Um, in my head. What is it? Yeah, no. I just think that she has very like she. She's like that kind of like basic. I guess kind of yeah, not she's, mean she's girl like personality, a, but like she's a boring rich girl. Yeah, rich, rich white girl syndrome. You know, that's kind yeah. of what it is. And I, I mean, I find that like immediately super uninteresting as like a character trait at all. But Gordon Levitt, he's he's completely into it. Uh, you know, turn one, he's he's all for it. Hmm. Um, and then his whole thing, the convoluted plan, which is directly taken from uh, Shakespeare of loosely. Well, yeah, well, more... not loosely, pr- pretty closely, but not like not ex- not not one to one, obviously. Not one to one, but like yeah, the basic idea of him uh, trying to get Heath Ledger's character. Well, no, he's asked the school bully. It's convoluted. Like he asked two people to try and get these girls so they can go on dates with them, uh, and instead it would in turn uh, come back to him so he can get the girl. Man, that really sounded convoluted. Which is uh, he needs Heath Ledger to date Bianca's sister. Which no, but then he asked Joey first. I I know what he does, but <laughs> it sounds very. It is very convoluted to explain it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Bianca is much more. Uh, I guess she she is the the the, the mentioned shrew uh, in the titular title of Spacefear's work. Um, she's a lot more. I guess cold to people. I think less. you got her mixed up. Huh? It's not Bianca that's a show. Oh, did I say it? Bianca? I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. What's the sister's name? Cat? Catherine. Cat yes. Is Catherine the, yeah. is the is the 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 
titular true true uh, a lot more cold a lot harsher to people doesn't want to live up to anyone's expectations doesn't really like being messed with people doesn't really like people quite honestly yeah um and she she does you know she's also like also a rich white girl uh and she actually gets called out for that in a really great scene early in the movie by their writing teacher i assume he is oh that teacher yeah i think i think the writing teacher yeah the teacher's fucking great the teacher is so good and uh, at all yeah he's he's living off that tenure he doesn't have to worry about anything no yeah, he's yeah, like, he's like, yeah. so funny. He's like, next time you complain about your lunch meat or whatever the fuck, like, <laughs> complain yeah. about. It must be so hard to deal with your middle class white oppression. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fucking great. And then like the Rafta guys, these 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 white guys in dreadlocks. Oh yeah, <laughs> they, they try and put their fist up in solidarity. He's like, don't even get me fucking started. Yeah, those, um, yeah, yeah, he's he's great. It, um, but yeah, I you know, phase on phase on just straight up called her a bitch here. Uh, I don't well, think she's. Uh, all right, that's the way it was supposed to be portrayed in the. It's beginning. also. I'm pretty sure they said that in the movie too. I mean, if, if someone calls someone a bitch, I don't. I don't. I mean, that's not always. Depends I mean, on who he said was, it. I mean, he was uh, summarizing the movie, and in the movie, she was described as this. Hey, all right, all right. You're just trying to say Faison because you want me to look bad here still. Again, three feet deep in. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> that's how she was portrayed at the beginning. They literally called her that. I mean, I'm pretty sure it was Joey who called her that. Listeners, all right, Chris, come on. All right, all right, all right. I'll, I'll let this one slide. Um, But yeah, basically, they pay Heath Ledger's character to try and date her. He has to put in a lot of work to actually get her to like him and ends up falling for her, too. Uh, the whole plan eventually blows up Heath Ledger's face when she realizes he was paid to date her. And uh, eventually, eventually it all works out, though. Eventually, you know, love, love conquers all and all that, all that great noise. Yeah. yeah. And the whole time, you know, the cast has really good chemistry. The cast has really good jokes. There's even bloopers at the end, which are actually quite funny. Oh, the bloopers um, are very funny. The bloopers are very, very funny. And it's it's honestly, like, it's a movie that brings me a lot of joy to watch. Like, I watch this movie, and it's like, this is a really funny movie. It's a good comfort I, movie. I really like, yeah, it's a good comfort movie. I like to, like, just, I just, it's just fun to watch, you know? Yeah. It is designed to be a very enjoyable uh, very happy experience from start to finish, and it, it ends with a good energy. It has a uh, has pretty good music, the '90s soundtrack. Yeah, I get a, uh, you get a little bit of Bare Naked Ladies. You know, you know they 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 always you, you know you can never it never hurts to have a little bit of ska in your music in your movie. I always say. I mean, the one song uh, I recognize, I didn't rec- I only I didn't recognize the actual song. I just knew it because it was sampled in another song. Oh, okay, interesting. And I would also say this is one of those movies that gets referenced a fair amount of times in other cult in other content. Yeah, I can the, definitely think of a couple of moments in other movies and shows that it's been referenced. The so singing, I'd say it's huh the scene where he Ledger sings. This, yeah, that's I love that scene. Fucking love that scene. Yeah, that's probably baby scene. That's great. Yeah, the the puppy is the most um, parodied or referenced thing from the movie. Where he's like the, a, rigs the school ace, uh, what the hell is it called? AV department. Yeah, when he rigs the that and play and sings to Cat on the football, no soccer field. Yeah, um, I say another moment is uh the whelmed scene. I've seen that one referenced a few times, specifically in Young Justice, where Bianca's best friend is like, "Oh, uh, people are always overwhelmed and oh, underwhelmed. Okay. Why isn't anyone just whelmed?" Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I've seen that one a lot of times in other shows. I saw that reference um, like a few days ago, just on, on a random Reddit thread. I didn't know what, see what it was I mean? from. Yeah, it's it's a common thing. 
Um, it's been it's it's past. It's you know, it's one of those ones. Uh, but yeah. So I actually, since none of you guys seem to know that much about Taming of the Shrew, I actually have a little bit to talk about. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Because um, it's fucking bad. <laughs> so, yeah. Wait. Before you like get into bad, as in like you'll like see. Fucked up. I'll explain it in a minute. Before you get into it. The first, I read the synopsis, and then the very first sentence after the synopsis is this movie, this uh, play is regarded as deeply like misogynistic. Yeah, well, uh, you know, honestly, good preface. Shakespeare, I would argue, is probably uh, deeply, it is deeply misogynistic in a lot of his works, if you really look at them for more than yeah. five seconds. Um, anytime a woman is trying to gain any molecule of power, she's either evil or killed off or a bit of both. Yeah. Um, Lady Macbeth being probably the most obvious example, but there's definitely a lot more in there to be used. Um, also, actually, you know, uh, Titania, Princess of the Fairies in Midsummer's Night's Dream. That's another one. But um, in this case, basically, uh, it's a play within a play. So I guess just take that framing consideration because someone will okay. probably say that I'm wrong because I didn't mention that. But it's a play. It's a play within a play. And it's the same setup as this where, you know, there's a lot of suitors for Bianca. Everyone wants to get with Bianca. But then, uh, you know, the dad's like, unless... Uh, Catherine also has suitors, you know, you're not going to get with Bianca. So they set up this elaborate thing where they meet a guy called uh, Percusio and he's like, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll become Bianca's suitor and I'll convince her to fall in love with me. Um, so he, he storms in and he, t- he says like, I'm going to, I'm going to make her fall in love with me. I'm going to marry her. And he, he puts her on the back. He quite literally grabs her and puts her on the back of his horse and takes into her kingdom. And he, he has a plan and God, if I can find that quote, actually, I'd much rather say that quote. Hold on. I'm guessing the quote is terrible. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's a horrible little bit of monologue. Yeah, let me see if I can. I mean, yeah, knowing Shakespeare, it's definitely horrible. It's it's bad. I can't seem to find it at this particular. Do you remember the basis? Um. Yeah, I'll make her fall in love with me. I'll just starve her to death and not let her sleep until she does. Oh yeah, I did read that part. Yeah, yeah that's basically the basis of his plan. He <laughs> he takes her to his house. And he he has like the the cooks like bring all this food. And he's like, no, this food's cooked all wrong. It's not good enough for you. And he throws it all on the floor so that she can't eat. And he's like, it's because I love you. It's because I love you that I'm going to make them cook a perfect meal for you. And until they do, you just won't eat. It's okay. So he doesn't let her eat. And then she's like trying to go to bed. And he's like, nope, the bed's all fucked, all wrong, all wrong. I am not uh, going to let you sleep. And it's because I love you. It's definitely 100% because I love you abusive relationship <laughs> he fucking yeah. gaslights her throughout the whole fucking book he keeps he just he legitimately just gaslights her and he says like i'm gonna break her down until uh until she is completely obedient <laughs> to me christ and then at the end of the book you know everyone else got married and it turns out like bianca's a little bit of a feisty wife and that uh catherine catherine comes in and, and it turns out catherine has become the perfect wife and pa- catherine like gives this whole monologue about how um Women are not meant to be confrontational, and they should instead be submissive wives uh, and give themselves to their husbands. Jesus and then Christ. that's how the play ends. Shakespeare, okay. everybody. It is deeply fucking yeah. misogynistic. <laughs> I was, was not also written that. in what, like the 1500s? Something like that. 1600s, I think. I'm, I'm yeah. very bad with years. It's very old. It's very. I've seen a lot of people defend it, trying to say that it's satire. Those were the beliefs during the time. Let's be honest here. This is not satire. King George was seeing this shit and getting ideas. I mean, this is <laughs> this really <laughs> um it's it's real fucked. And it which honestly almost impresses me more that they were able to make an actually really good romantic movie from without 
Yeah. 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 <laughs> they're, just, they're just like, hmm, we have this story about gaslighting. Let's cut out that abuse part. And manipulation. <laughs> let's just let's just take that away <laughs> and make something a lot better. Yeah, it came out really good. Yeah, honestly, yeah. it's it's genuinely impressive to me um, that you can have source material this bad and make a movie as as fun and good as uh, Ten Things I Hate About You. Yeah. And funny. And funny. Yeah. And funny. Because Shakespeare's I, jokes weren't as good. Yeah. Her last scene is great. Not her last, not the last scene of the movie. The scene that the movie is uh, titled out there is great too. The one at the end. Oh, the play. Not another play. Poem. Um, poem. Yes, poem. That's the word I was trying to use. Yeah. Yeah. No, that scene is great. Um, and it actually shows that uh, Catherine's actor actress is, is quite good. Also, Honestly, uh, really good. Wasn't supposed to cry either. She wasn't. No, it just happened. It was the first oh, time she read the poem. It made it even better. Yeah, it makes it so much better. And also just like cutting back to Heath Ledger's like his look, the the, uh, the look in his eyes, like the genuine feet. He's uh, he acts with his eyes and it's really fucking good. Oh, yeah. Yep. God, I really do love this movie. Yeah, um, it's, it, it's one of the most enjoyable movies out there for me. Like in terms of like a pure fun time, there are yeah. few movies that provide me with that like this. I will. That I can just sit down and have a good time with. I will say, though, why is there a band playing at the end of the end? <laughs> Um, because come on, Tyler, you didn't live in a, you didn't go to a rich high school in, in SoCal. Come on. Well, there's just a random band playing on yeah, top. Live music on the top of the school at all times. That's just the life down there. So fun, <laughs> fun fact about the band playing. Uh, the director said, yeah, uh, keep playing. There's going to be a helicopter hovering around you getting the shot. If we have to do it more each time the helicopter <laughs> lands, it's a uh, f- uh, 500,000 or some ridiculous amount of money. It's expensive. And they're like, all right, just keep playing and then the band afterward, like, yeah, it's terrifying. We like we saw the helicopter coming closer and closer. We didn't know if he was gonna stop. We didn't know how close he was getting. We were terrified, <laughs> but we were told to keep singing. And I'm just imagining them trying to sing and then like scream a little bit as it comes closer. A band on the Titanic, you just don't stop. Oh yeah. Just like the pitch just gets a little higher. <laughs> singing, singing, oh god. Uh, yeah. It's fun. It's fun. I honestly, it's a great rom com. If you're looking for a rom com, you're looking for a Valentine's Day movie, looking to to feel less depressed, watch this movie. Yeah, yes, yeah. it's, it's truly a cure. Um, what are your favorite bits from it? I'd say. Um, besides the ending and uh, him singing on the steps, mm-hmm. I mean, the highlight is the dad. The dad is hilarious. Yeah, dad, the dad's like, one of my favorite things. Yeah. yeah. Overly like protective. The, the, fake, uh, the fake belly scene. <laughs> that had me that like literally yeah, crying. It was so really. funny. Um, I also love I love just the scene where Bianca punches Joey. Because I, I shit on Bianca a little bit always. But she actually does get better over the course of the movie, which becomes less vapid yeah. and realizes that like these appearances aren't fucking everything. And she mm-hmm. actually punches the most popular guy in school who she was trying to get with right in the face. And it's a really cathartic scene because he's a fucking piece of shit. And throughout the whole movie, I can never decide who I want to punch him in the face. But yeah, but then Bianca once it happened, it was like, yeah, it's like it's really cathartic. It needed to be her. Yeah, because he screws over pretty much everybody in the movie in some way or form. He's a total piece of shit. Everyone has reason to want to hit him in the face. And you know he's going to get hit in the face. He's got one of those yeah. faces. Yeah. And when it finally does, it's, ah, it's a good moment. Yeah. I also thought um, just every scene with uh, it's like the secretary or whoever oh, she is she's in the movie for literally like two scenes but she's great yeah. what's another word for throbbing 
Yeah, uh, I, I do like that in some seemingly the deleted scenes. And because of that, the bloopers, we actually see even more of her and just stupid shit. She's it's just so funny. Yeah. Like, oh, yes, throbbing member. <laughs> One of the funniest uh, I do bloopers. Like... Oh, yeah. Funniest bloopers is when they, when uh, Heath Ledger and uh, the actress who plays Cat uh, drives a car and hits somebody. That blooper is great. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I wish they kept. Well, like, I don't. I doubt that was, that was even planned to have that as a scene. No, it was not a plot would, point. How great would it be? The movie. Just go. Oh no! <laughs> the guy pulls out from the back seat. Whoops. <laughs> yeah. I, I really like the bloopers because, like, I don't. I don't. I didn't know. I mean, I assume there were deleted scenes in this movie. Every movie has deleted scenes, but I didn't know where the hell to watch them. Um, and I really actually like seeing the ones we got here kind of in the blooper section. We get to see just bits that, that didn't get put into the film. And it's like, this, this is fun. Why did we stop doing bloopers? Yeah. I, don't I mean, know. it showed, it showed that the cast were, had great chemistry with everybody. Fantastic chemistry. Honestly, like that's, that's kind of, it's impressive to have a cast that's this big. Um, and yet every single character has just the perfect level of chemistry with each other. Yeah. It was funny. I, I find I it pretty reading... impressive. I was reading that on set, like David and uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt became friends because Joseph Gordon-Levitt showed David the band Fish, and David showed Joseph Wu Tang. And I, after I read that, I'm like, oh, so David's the cool one. <laughs> oh yeah, David showed him Wu Tang, and he showed him fucking ska music. <laughs> I fucking hate Fish. Man, I can't believe we let ska die. We gotta bring it back. I've been saying that while wasted True. for years that we got to bring Scott yeah, back. And I, I, I have it multiple times. He's on, it is my witness. You say it every time. I say it every time I get I drink too much that I think that we need to bring Scott back, and I goddamn stand by it. <laughs> it, it. It was an untapped gold mine. We wasted it all. So, so you're Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and I'm I'm Joseph. David I'm Gordon. definitely Joseph Gordon-Levitt in this situation, hundred <laughs> percent. And I'm the guy listening to Wu Tang. All right. Ah. <laughs> uh, Anything else you guys want to say about this one? Uh, I think that's about it. Real solid. It. Yeah, real solid. The best rom-com. Would recommend. Makes makes Creates joy. Chris might be going overboard with the best, but I have nothing to disagree with him. So. I really do think it's the best rom-com. I've seen at least maybe five to ten of them. I haven't seen a lot of them, but I've seen a decent chunk, and I truly think it's the best rom-com. Yeah, I've seen a handful. This is probably the best it's, one. It's definitely the best that I've seen, if I gotta yeah. be all you know accurate about it. I don't remember the ones I've seen if they are rom-coms or not, so. Fair enough. But um, nothing else to say then, I guess, guys? Nope. On that note. On that note, what, Faison? Just on that note. <laughs> on that note. Let, let it hang in the air. The second movie. You know, I, I can pick up audio cues, so I can handle this. <laughs> on that your, note, it's time to... Your came the fuck out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> the first time you said it was like, on that note, it's like, on, what, what are we doing? You just said it and then looked up in the air. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou, a film by the Coen brothers, not the ones who did Garfield, in which a prisoner, played by George Clooney, uh, leads a little prison escape in order to try and get back to his wife. Um, It is based off of the Greek uh, epic poem, The Odyssey, by Homer. And it's also really good. Yeah, very good. George Clooney is great. George Clooney's having a blast trying to make his life fall in love with him again. Yeah. Well, again. second mo- second movie we've touched on where he's trying to do that, and I just hope it keeps happening. Well, first of all, the other prisoners played by Tim Blake Nelson from Watchmen and John Totoro, they didn't know it was for his wife. He said it was a treasure. 
yeah, yeah. he lies to them to say it's a treasure uh and one of those two i don't remember which is which uh but one of those two the taller one uh, actually only had a week left in his sentence yeah pete yeah yeah pete pete had a single week left in his sentence and got uh caught up in the, the tale spun to him by ulysses um yeah yeah pretty much and it's it's fun i i was a little apprehensive going into this movie because we talked about no country for old men on this podcast already and that was another coen brothers movie and yeah. i was lukewarm on it as a whole i thought it was fantastic yeah, i actually didn't think you'd like this movie that much i didn't Me think i like this movie that much either but i think i think i found a reason to like it and it's a it's, it's going to go on a big long tangent so i'll just cover that last but um so we'll cover that last but i did actually just want to state i actually really did enjoy this movie I think it's closer to like Ballad of Buster Scruggs than it is No Country for Old Men. And maybe that's why I like it more because, it, well, maybe that's part of why I like it more because it's just like, it's very stylish. It's very you know, stylistically heavy in that way. Yeah. Um, well, everyone's having a fucking fun time. Yeah, that's the difference between No Country and the majority of all Coen Brothers movies that No Country is the humorless one. Every other one mm-hmm. is at least funny in some way. Maybe maybe that'll be what does it for me. Maybe I just like their style of humor more than I do their. Maybe I, I like this kind of like aimlessness in humor more so than I do in in drama. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I feel like on top of that, I feel like this movie has something beyond just aimlessness to it, which is what I want to touch on later on. But first, uh, what are your th- thoughts on this movie? I mean, uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think it's like my third time watching it, and it is just really enjoyable at any point. I mean, Clooney's enjoying the hell out of it. He's having so much fun. Yeah, Clooney's having so much fun. It's Clooney so... always seems to be having fun when he's in a movie. Even if it's bad, he seems yeah. like he's always having a good time. He feels like he's someone who'd be fun to have on set. Oh, yeah. Just just vibing, hanging out. He's not even in the movie. He's just on set. Yeah. He just seems like a blast. Yeah. It's fun. It's enjoyable. It's really quotable. Really quotable. Um, yeah. I, I also, you know, I, there's there's apparently some debate to this online, actually, Tyler. We talked about this a little. Uh, does it classify as a musical? Oh. Faison. You know, it treads a line. It does tread a line. Faison? It's basically I'm, I'm thinking. Yeah. I, I want to say no. Right. But I could see how it would be a musical. Google does classify it as a musical. It does? Yep. Classifies it as a, yeah, a crime, crime musical. I don't agree with that. Tyler is disagreeing with uh, the largest search engine on the planet. Interesting choice. Because the music I, I in guess the movie... Because the music in the movie is like... They, they impersonate or they make up a band, the Soggy Bottom Boys. <laughs> they get a record... And they just do it for the money so it can get a car. And then, like, that song is played throughout, like, a couple of times in the movie, but it's not yeah. like a stop. That's and... not the only song. Because let's not forget, the Sirens have their own specific song. There's right, a song playing direct... during the baptism. Hey, there's a song playing during the baptism scene. There's yeah, a song that's being sung during the clan scene. Yeah, because they're chanting. Uh, that, no, the clan scene's not, well, the clan scene's only part chanting, but it's still singing, Tyler. The, you this can't, is you also can't draw a music. weird arbitrary line between chanting and singing. That's like saying, like, are, is a hymn a song or is it a chant? If a movie is entirely... Hey, just, just in general, is a hymn a song or is it a chant? Could be both or either. 
this motherfucker won't make up his mind. Yeah, but look, the, a lot of the music in this song was, I mean, in this movie was like specifically made for the movie, right? Well, yeah, all of it. Yeah. yeah. I'd say a it's fun musical. Fact. There's a fun fact about that is that while the movie didn't get, I think, any nominate, no, it got nominations, it didn't get any wins, the album for the movie won the best album of the year at the Grammys. That's fucking hilarious. Yeah. I mean, that, it's good music. It is good yeah. music. Soggy Bottom Boys, um, I'd, I'd, I'd play that anytime. Would what, you man, say that Pop uh, Stars a musical? No. You know what? I might say no just because the songs aren't played in their entirety. Okay. I mean, I think that might be what breaks it because it's more like sequence, but like many of them are in just sequences. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I would say this is closer to a musical. Um, Cause like you can have musicals where the songs are actually being sung. Like yeah. in, in burlesque, not burlesque, Chicago. Moulin Rouge. Burlesque? Whatever. No, no, not Moulin Rouge. I think it's, is it burlesque or is I it? I think you said burlesque before. No, no, you're asking that. the wrong person. Yeah. I, 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 need to, I, I, th- I think it's burlesque. I think it's burlesque. I could be wrong. Um, all of them, like in the actual stage play, all of the musical bits are actually happening like in universe. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it is like, it is like the characters are singing right now. It's not just like people are singing, but everyone's acting like it's normal things like in like La La Land or something. So yeah. I would, I would say it, it, it qualifies. I'd, I'm going to say it's a musical. Google says it's a musical. I'm going to say, I'm going to agree with big brother Google. I'm going to say it's a musical. But with most of the musicals, is really good. Huh? It is. Yeah, my Constor so is good. I I kind of do want to hear Clooney sing that because it's not him singing. Is it not? Apparently, I just like apparently from looking it up, it looks like he bombed his singing audition. Yeah, yeah I wouldn't only, be surprised. The only person who actually sang is Tim Blake Nelson. Wow. Bro, if George <laughs> Clooney could sing, it'd be a it'd be like it, too much. It's just cheating. Yeah, like, it'd be over for us. <laughs> We're done. Like he looks good. He acts good. And he could sing like that's just unfair. Yeah, Wait, the man has to have a downside somewhere. Wait, because yeah. in burlesque, yes. do they have choreography? He, mm, so are you saying that the line is drawn at choreography? It helps. It helps, sure. But I mean, there are musical pieces that don't have choreography. But there's in the case um, of in the case of uh, Oh Brother, there is none. You but could I technically feel like the make music... an argument for the siren scene having choreography. Technically, yeah, but I, I feel like the music itself in this movie is so important that I guess it'd be considered a musical. Well, they the did. The Coen Brothers actually important thematically. Yeah, the Coen Brothers did uh, make the movie with the uh, music as a forefront. So that that's a musical, Tyler. But I'm still not classified. I still don't think it's a musical in the sense of uh, other music. Like when I think of a musical, I don't think of this. I mean, that's fair. I wouldn't either. But I do think that this is one of those like, you know, square circle situation, square circle. What the fuck? Square rectangle situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely a square rectangle thing. Yeah, sure. like, you know, yeah. like not all like all like not all musicals technically have like, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, um, yeah. I think it, find, it finds itself in a niche loophole where I would count this as a musical. And maybe that even also increased my enjoyment of it. Because, uh, again, I, I was surprised by the fact that I like this movie and also how much I liked it. Yeah, I was really expecting a lukewarm touch, but there was actually just so many things about it that did work for me. Just like it's fun nature, uh, solid characters, uh, great performances, fantastic music. Yeah, I watched it and I was like, huh, I wonder if Chris is going to like this. Yeah, 
Because <laughs> it felt like it didn't really go anywhere, but I was like, huh. See, yeah, but it did. That's the yeah, thing. Yeah, it did. Yeah, you're right. Oh, I have. I have. All right. I, I got stuff. I mean, I mean, the movie is Shit Happens, too, and that's why yeah. I don't like it. It is, but there's actually, I believe, something significantly more interesting under the surface of that. So uh, I'm going to begin my rants. Okay, okay, wait. I just want to mention one thing. <laughs> yeah, wait. Before, <laughs> before, before you start. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, the movie take... itself looked beautiful. Like somehow they managed to make the South like something straight out of Lord of the Rings, and I was really impressed by that. Yeah, it's a visually co- very compelling film. Yeah. I think just the landscape, all the different characters are so distinct. Yeah, it's true. It's it's weird to say that they have good character designs in a live action movie. That's usually yeah. something more denoted for like animation. Mm-hmm. But everyone has a really good character design. <laughs> Even yeah. like, because like none of them look, a lot of them don't look like real people. Like Saul Goodman doesn't look like a real person. That guy right. who plays Penelope Suter doesn't really look like a real person. Yeah, he looks like a mouse on like a really tall man's body. Yeah. <laughs> like Ratatouille, you know? Did you it's really Saul weird. Goodman? Yeah. I said Saul Goodman, didn't I? Yeah, who is that? Is, what's, is it Paul Goodman? <laughs> I don't fucking. I don't even know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, Goodman. Goodman. Um, the, the voice of Pacha in, in Emperor's New Groove. John Goodman. John Goodman. Saul Goodman is Breaking Bad. Look, it's like eight. It's at like ten o'clock. At least you got to mix up with somebody that's real this time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look. Okay, John Goodman doesn't look like a human being. Um, a lot of the characters don't look like real people. They look You're trying to they look push like, right past that too. You were trying they to look like they look like drawings. So I think yeah, it's interesting. They actually it's it's weird to say, but they do all have interesting character designs. Yeah, yeah, the design. Uh, yeah, how they made each character, like the shopkeeper when he when Clooney's character gets thrown out of the shop with the buck teeth. That that looks really, that looks like straight up out of a old anime uh, animated movie. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys realize how every like uh, politician is just fat? Yeah. Yeah. Except the one who was a racist. Except for the Klansmen. Yeah. yeah except for the Klansmen. Dude, that just the burning cross is really burns a lot of calories. The KKK scene was just really fucking funny to me for some reason. Yeah, I mean, it was. I just thought of the Chappelle skit when they pulled off the hat, the the hats. <laughs> Oh no! Oh yeah, that's a like, good. I was really waiting to see people's heads explode and shit. <laughs> uh, the movie God. is so funny. The movie is very funny. The, the scene that got me the most is uh, at one point. Well, after they fall for the sirens and Pete disappears, uh, Ulysses and Tim Blake Nelson's character—I forgot his name. Uh, well, his character thinks he turned into a toad. It obviously yeah, because his, his clothes are on the ground, and there's just this little thing under his shirt. And it's a toad. And they think he turned into a toad. First, they think they cut out his heart. Yeah. <laughs> heart beating. Yeah. And then they carry around this little box <laughs> that just has him. And so they get robbed because the guy thinks he has. They have money. Like, yeah. <laughs> just oh, yeah. got a frog. John Goodman crushes the uh, Cyclops. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Polythemus, I think. Yeah, he's supposed to be him. But later on, when we, when uh, Pete comes back, we join the group in the theater when they're just whispering to each other, the, do not <laughs> seek the treasure. We <laughs> thought you were a toad. And then his face, <laughs> what the fuck are you saying? And there's, again, 
Do not seek the treasure. Tyler, Tyler doing his Beth Southern accent here. I love it. Well, I think that's right. I think that's accurate. I, I mean, it sounds about right. It's not bad. Tyler never does accents on the show. It's usually my job to try and fail at that. Yeah. So honestly, glad to see come, that it didn't fall on me. And I come in when I know I can do it. <laughs> yeah, like I can do many accents, to be honest, so I don't try. What, Chris, you were, a lot of you. Chris, your accent for the heist movies went pretty well. <laughs> not the Boston one. one. Not the Boston one, no. I don't oh, know what happened there. <laughs> I described it to Tyler as a uh, Victorian maid catching the king having an affair. That was kind of the, <laughs> like, the energy of that bizarre <laughs> moment. I don't know what the fuck I was going on with me there. It, I, it was literally the midway point of the episode. Right in the middle was, of the episode. <laughs> I was possessed it, by the spirit of an old Victorian woman yeah. for just an instant. Was it was very interesting. Was that the one we filmed like late though? Or no, no. That, that, that was bounty. <laughs> this was we filmed this early. I have no excuse. I yeah, I was trying to give you an excuse. No, I don't have one. I know what I'm I know what I fucked up. I don't know what the fuck was going on with that. Yeah, no. All right, Chris. But, you ready? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, let me rant. Okay. So this is obviously great based off of the Odyssey, uh, the epic poem by Homer, as stated before, right? Which takes place immediately after the Iliad, another epic poem by Homer. Um, so the first thing I think that's important to mention is that the definition of a hero is drastically different in ancient Greek culture than it is in Western culture. In Western culture, a hero is something along the lines of Superman. So like a kind of like a, uh, like a titan of ideals, uh, what people should strive to be a very good person, right? It's a good, yeah, good like guy. That is the, the hero perfect means. person. Yeah, that's what, what being a hero means in the West. In ancient Greek, uh, it did not mean that. A hero was usually someone deeply flawed, uh, incredibly fucked up, and uh, a, usually a person of historical and cultural importance. So that's the first important distinction to make in that, in like in Western storytelling versus ancient Greek storytelling, right? Yeah. So Ulysses definitely falls into the ancient Greek way of defining a hero because he's based off Odysseus and he captures that very well. I think that in terms of having a an Odysseus stand-in, Ulysses is kind of fucking perfect. He captures yeah. the sly wit. He he gets he's not much of a fighter whatsoever, and it's he gets an out of everything so with much. the brain. Yeah. He gets his ass beat in the whole fucking movie. He's he's all about brain power and and, and usually trying to outwit people, which yeah. is right falls right in line for what the Odyssey focused on with uh, Odysseus. Uh, another thing is that this movie it actually adapts the Odyssey pretty completely, not perfectly, not like not everything, but it, it adapts right. a lot of it. Before you continue, nobody uh, nobody on this cast read the Odyssey except Tim Blake Nelson. <laughs> that's neither, actually funny the Coen brothers both said yeah this is my favorite uh, literary device and they neither of them read it they just knew it from other movies and other things that used it fair enough that makes sense just because of how much the odyssey is referenced as a whole there's even the next movie we're going to talk about technically also is a loose adaptation of the odyssey in some way yeah i did notice that yeah but uh specifically this one actually manages to adapt it more completely than most others it touches on a lot of smaller aspects of, well, not smaller, but other aspects of the book, like the Lotus Eaters, the Sirens, the Helios's Cows. Um, a lot of shit is like directly referenced here, right? And that's what I think ends up creating uh, the things that I enjoy the most about this movie. Because the Odyssey, sir, well, all myths, right? All all myths of any race or any, um, or any place. <laughs> race. Yeah. <laughs> all myths of any culture. They God. served as a way to express... Uh, cultural anxieties and cultural fears or cultural understanding, right? Like they're, they're meant to express a culture that they stem from, right? Whether it's a creation myth or a myth that explains something, or in the case of an odyssey, uh, a myth that 
basically has her character going through a whole bunch of crazy shit trying to get his way home. These things that he's experiencing are facets of the culture that usually provide a certain level of anxiety for those people. It's the same thing that pretty much the same thing that films do today, right? Like if yeah. you look at monster, the earliest monster movies, the earliest monster movies had a lot of subtext involving race because in the same way that a myth expresses the cultural feelings of a people, films express the cultural feelings of a people in a moment of time. So in that, in that way, the Odyssey is pretty much an expression of Greek anxieties and fears, right? And what this movie does is it takes that concept of a journey expressing cultural anxieties and fears and transplants it into post-Civil War American South. Yep. And it does that pretty fucking perfectly, managing to hit on a lot of different important beats that uh, were on the minds of people at that time. So in the Odyssey, we have Cersei's Island, where she turns men into pigs. She turns all of Odysseus's men into pigs. Yeah. In this movie, we have the one guy's cousin, his, his family member, his last name was Hogsworth, and he, he actively calls him a pig for betraying him, except the thing that turns this man into a pig is money, right? It's wealth and greed. That's, that's yeah, 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 okay. Um, we have the Lotus Eaters, who in the Odyssey give members of Odysseus's crew uh, basically heroin yeah. to opiate them and keep them docile. In this, we have religion, where two members of Od- Odysseus's crew are baptized and kept docile in that own way, right? I mean, there's a famous quote by Karl Marx that um, religion is opiate for the masses, right? True. Um, Not wrong. In the, in the Odyssey, Helios has these holy cows that are killed by members of Odysseus' crew, and then Zeus strikes them with lightning to punish them. In here, we have what pretty much is the rise of crime in post-Civil War South America, Southern U.S., where uh, was it Babyface Johnson uh, robs a bank, kills a bunch of cows, and gets the electric chair. Yeah. Right? The Cyclops, right, in, in the Odyssey, the Cyclops is actually a shepherd of, of sheep, right? He has all these, he has a flock of sheep. In this movie, he is a pasture, so also a shepherd, but a false shepherd because he's also a fucking con man. Um, you know, in we also, throughout the movie, we have the, the rise of the KKK. The, the KKK have a ton of, like, Confederacy memorabilia. Yeah. Um, Ulysses is shown to be an ex-Confederate soldier himself at the end of the film. Um, and so basically the thing is that this movie, as it's traveling through the South, it's basically touching on all of these major changes and anxieties of the time, pretty much at the end, talking with the Ulysses in the water, talking about how, uh, there's going to be the rise of technology, you know, earlier in the film, actually, we see people talking about how radio is a new way to reach the masses. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a point of extreme technological and cultural change after a huge shift, maybe 50 years or not even 50 years, like 30 years earlier. Right. Mm hmm. And that's what I find really interesting. The fact that it it pretty much serves the same function as the Odyssey for a distinctly different yeah. point in time and yet covers all of this ground in a really interesting way. So I think that's actually what I consider to be the strongest part of the movie as a whole. It's it's that idea. And that's actually what I really like about it. Because I do you do kind of take away something at that point. It's kind of like a, a walk through a moment in time, right? Yeah. Uh, the movie does kind of lose me in that regard at one point which is right at the end where they basically uh, they sneak into a fundraiser for a politician and they sing a song. They sing their, their soggy bottom boys song. Yep. And this clan members like, look, Hey, they're integrated. We got to get rid of them. But all the people are like, no, they're singing this song. Get them out. Get, get out of here. Clan member. Um, and I guess that movement loses me because I can't see that ever happening in the South. But well, I don't they, think might so. like, they, they make some good ass music. <laughs> 
yeah yeah there we go guys the solution for racism the coen brothers had it all along it was yeah. just you, right? if they if he makes a really good song then he can no if he makes a good song right. by stealing his soul to the devil <laughs> they're well, not actually, saying it's killed like, like they're not saying they're gonna give him equal rights they're just saying they're not gonna kill him <laughs> yeah, yeah like, pretty much i mean that scene always loses me like i get people say that when they talk about that scene in isolation, they say that the purpose of that scene is to show that um, art is pretty much to show the importance of art, right? That music can bring people together and that uh, art is important that way. Yeah. It always kind of like, I get it. It always kind of loses me, even with that. Yeah, it's kind of bullshit. It's kind of bullshit. It's kind of cheesy. It's completely bullshit. I always hate when directors do that type of stuff where they say, like, who's more important than the storyteller? <laughs> Game of Thrones. Um, I always fucking hate that. Yeah. So that one always comes off a little bit cheap, but I like the the idea of the journey itself. I guess I like the journey more than the destination, which is why I actually do get a lot of enjoyment from this film. And I don't think I'm crazy for what I said. I think I'm I think I'm pretty much no, on the I actually money. Think that a lot of it made t- a ton of sense. I yeah, I'm pretty on much on the money with this one. You're on the real on this one. I think I'm right. I think I'm right. This is like your first rant that actually was good. I think I've had it's other really, rants. really good. The one that was the like, most them. panned out well was this one. I'll take it. I'll take a win. Like this is one where I 100% agree on. Yeah. Thank you. I know I feel justified here now. Can't wait till next week where I fuck it all up. Listen, a broken clock is right twice a day. Twice a day. Yeah. Yep. God, I'll be wrong next week though. But hey, you know what? I know I actually I think I've been wrong right this into all these times, but hey, we'll leave it at that. Um sure. I do really right. like this take on it, you know. Even if I can't I can't always tell if it's intentional just because like you know, it might just be hitting these broad strokes of things where you can draw lines between them. Yeah. But it definitely feels intentional enough that I can really see that this movie has, I guess, it feels like it has more to it than shit happening. Because there's a yeah. line between it like that, which I don't necessarily feel like I can always say about, um, what's it called? That movie we saw already. <laughs> I don't even know the name. Holy shit. Yeah, No Country. No Country. Uh, I can't feel like I can always say that about No Country. Because even though there's a narrative through line, there's not a particularly interesting thematic one. Um, But this has something a lot more unique to it. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. That's my big take on this movie and what I really enjoyed about it. I like that Um, rant, Chris. Thank you. Thank you (laughs) very much. Thank you very much. It worked out out really well, and it actually just made me think of the movie in a different like. You know, yeah. Give me a different viewpoint on the movie because I didn't think of that at all. I it's it's good. I I like that. I I do again. I think the movie kind of drops off a little bit right towards the end there, right before the the final conflict between the cop and the guys, um, which is also a great scene. Yeah. Also. uh, Yeah. Also, one one last thing. Like you guys said, one of the members of the crew, uh, he sold his soul to the devil to play really good music. And he describes the devil as a man in glasses holding a hound. Yeah, so the, the cop was the devil. Yeah, it, 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 it pretty much feels like it's being read out that way. Like, according yeah. to, if we're basing it off the myth, the cop is Poseidon. Yeah. But in, within its own mythology, the cop is the devil. Okay. Or, uh, well, I mean, is it is, that part is based on an actual myth of a guitarist who sold the soul to the devil. Well, I mean, I don't think that's really a myth as much as a folk tale, but, you know, close enough. More or less the same, whatever. But I mean, like that story about the guitarist. I mean, he died when he was 27, and people did say that he did get his amazing skills from the devil, but obviously you can't see if that's true or not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a pretty, it has become a pretty common trope. You know, going to the crossroads, selling your soul to the devil. 
yeah. play him in a fiddle game to get it back. It's uh, it's become a pretty pretty common trope these days. A, a fun one though, a real fun one. Um, yeah. But yeah, I those are my thoughts on the movie. I want to just get more of your thoughts on it now that I had my whole chance to talk a lot. <laughs> Uh, I mean, for me, I did one thing that's not really talked about a lot in this movie is the way all the random characters come together at points in this movie. It feels like the whole world is really lived in. Like the character we're talking about, Tommy Johnson, they pick him up randomly. They record the song Man of Constant Star, Man of Constant Star. And then once he once they try to escape, evade the cops again, he bails. You find him later about to be killed by the KKK. Yeah. And then he, jo- he joins the group. Same thing with the gangster. Yeah. Babyface. I I do love how you see that angry mob <laughs> slowly creeping forward in that shot at the end. Yeah. Worth his end. <laughs> yeah. I, I forgot yeah. what it was exactly. Again, I've seen this movie before, but I'm wa- when I was watching it again, I forgot. I was like, is the KKK coming back? It's like, oh, no, they just got him. <laughs> is the KKK coming back? No, they just got him. And just that's a great sentence to have to say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any final thoughts, you guys? Or uh no, I don't really have anything else to add. I don't think I do. I always remember no. shit afterwards. Like after we finish an episode, you know, like a day later, I always I always remember it's like fuck, I had like five or six more things to say. Yeah. Yeah. We're like I, halfway through, we're talking about the next thing. But like, damn, I should have brought that up. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, well, oh, brother, us can... but oh, brother is a good movie. But it being Cohen's brother is probably. I mean, I've seen a decent amount of Cohen's brother. It's definitely in the higher range for me. Yeah. I, I, I guess... definitely like this more than uh, No Country for Old Men, I think. This does end up being my second favorite. Cohen, no, my, my sorry, my favorite Cohen brother movie. I like it more than Ballad of Busker Scruggs. Um, I guess I still have, I have to see more of their their overall catalog of stuff. I think I think that I'm just going to end up ultimately enjoying their humorous stuff more than their serious stuff. Um, when they're funny, they're funny. Yeah, when they're funny, they're funny. So I'm definitely curious to see. I kind I want to see more Cohen brother stuff. I really want to see where my opinion on their stuff is as a whole. Is my only off one going to be No Country? Or is or is the is this the off one because it has like an interesting element to it? Yeah, I think so I'm you, curious to see. I'm really interested to see what the rest of them are going to be like. I think for you, you'll probably like them because again, No Country was the exception of it being uh, the least. It, it barely had any humor in it. Yeah, I don't think it had a single joke. Not like it wasn't like a valid joke. It might have been a funny moment because it yeah. might have been like. I don't know, something dark happened and you find it funny, See, but it wasn't supposed to be funny. My my problems with Old Country never, they don't stem from its darkness. They just stem from the fact that it doesn't go anywhere. I, I don't know. I, it's going to be interesting. I definitely want to schedule up another Coen Brothers movie one of these days. Yeah. I'm going to watch in that. But uh, with final thoughts out of the way, Tyler, do you want to take us into the final stretch? Are we going to Vietnam? We're going to Vietnam, boys. <laughs> Yes, we are going to Vietnam with Francis Ford Coppola's 1979 Vietnam epic, Apocalypse Now. The movie has Martin Sheen. He is assigned to go on a mission down to Vietnam through a river, and he is assigned to kill Colonel Kurtz after he has allegedly gone insane. And oh no, the helicopters are coming. 
Oh no, the copyright strike's coming. <laughs> oh no, shit. Wait, no, this, this song is like 150 years old. I have to be able to get away with this. I mean, probably. It's a good, it's a good piece of music. We've played music Richard on the show Wagner. before. Yeah, yeah. Wagner. Yeah, Wagner's real good. Um, I mean, yeah, Coppola wanted to score the movie. He listened to Wagner and The Doors throughout making this movie. He wanted to score it to either. Makes sense. It's it's good music. Um, and also a good movie. A very fucking good movie. A very, very depressing movie. movie. It, I, I, I found it to be such a, like, it, it's a very, not maybe depressing is the wrong word, a very exhausting movie, which is intense. It is intended to. Yeah. yeah. It is intended to truly feel like a drek up the, the um, up this, okay. this river. I forgot the name of the river. What's the name of the river? Songhai River? Mm, so, so. I, don't I don't remember. I, got I can't remember the name. But it's supposed to feel like this trek up this river into the heart of Vietnam. And it, it does feel that way. There is a, a a real exhaustion that comes from sitting through this movie. We watched the Redux edition. Which features every deleted scene that yeah. Coppola did because this movie had well, over 500 hours. Deleted, yeah, not every deleted scene. Otherwise, we'd never get to see this movie. Oh, no, 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 no. That, like, this one had uh, the deleted scenes in it. 500 hours of footage is what was actually made and not that what was actually put to the first, uh, like, not the earliest cut. yeah. Okay, I see. I, I thought for when you said deleted scenes, I thought you meant all footage, and I was like, "Oh man, no, no, no!" That'd if it was fucking dirty. It was all footage. It would be just a bunch of like bad takes and shit like that. Yeah, five hundred hours is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, the the movies making the making of this movie is ridiculous. Yeah. Well, before we get into the making of the movie, I guess we could talk a little bit about the movie itself, Tyler. Yeah. So oh, you already like, described it. I'm sorry. I was playing Flight of the Valkyrie during that. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, Martin Sheen plays uh, Captain Willard. He is assigned to um, go up the river and kill Colonel Kurtz, who is allegedly gone insane. He basically has his own militia and is running his own missions out in the jungle. Yeah. And uh, it should be said, Martin Sheen looks fucking identical to his son in this movie, to the point that there were many moments I thought I was just watching Charlie Sheen. Yeah. Charlie Sheen is his son? Yeah. 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 Tyler taught me that, told me that one. What yeah, the there's, fuck? There's yeah it's great... made weirder. <laughs> oh, sorry, no, you first, Tyler. There's a great, uh, there's a parody movie called Hot, a parody series called Hot Shots. And in Hot Shots 2, Charlie Sheen's in both of them. He's the main star. In Hot Shots 2, Charlie Sheen is on a boat. And I guess it's supposed to be Vietnam because it's supposed to be spoofing those movies. And he has a narration going. He's reading something. And then you hear another narration and it's Captain Willard. And they both pass each other. They're just staring at each other, and all they say is they both stand up saying, I love you in Wall Street, because they were both in it. <laughs> That's fucking great. Yeah, Charlie Sheen being in, like, Platoon really screwed with my head here, because, like, I could not... I For a second there, I was like, oh, my God. I, it's like deja vu, but worse. I don't even know how to... I, it was a very strange experience. Yeah. Um, hey, yeah, my I mean, mind is just fucking blown right now. Why are you looking at them? <laughs> it's piecing it together. Yeah, they fucking look alike. Yeah, they, they look do. very similar when he was younger. Like, I don't know put two and two together. Me neither. I, I, it's shocking. Yeah, he was also a apparently uh, very politically active. Huh? Yeah. Martin Sheen was also very politically active against the Vietnam War, or uh, maybe I don't know about against the Vietnam War, but he was against the what's it called, the Iraq War. Interesting. I didn't actually think I know very much about Martin Sheen at all, but he's got a whole uh, political views section on Wikipedia. 
Wow, that's that's great, man! Imagine living a life interesting enough to get that. Yeah, <laughs> that's fun. Uh, oh, but no, he's yeah, great. This, Martin Sheen yeah. is great in this movie. Mm-hmm. Honestly, there's not a single bad performance in this film, except there's maybe not. that French lady who shows up for the deleted scene. Didn't care for her performance, truly. Yeah, care for that. I don't care for that, care for that sequence. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't care for that whole scene. Like, I understand the value of the actual table scene. Yeah, when they're having dinner, I get that. The whole scene where she's like, "Smoke a pipe, come on." Smoke yeah, there's the reason that one was good. <laughs> yeah, I didn't care for that one whatsoever. Yeah, um, I I think that watching this movie, the regular cut, probably would be a more streamlined experience. But I do think that watching this with that scene adds to the like, this is a journey, this is a trek feeling you get watching this movie. The kind of yeah. like, exhaustion you have by the end of it. Well, if you only watch a regular version, you don't get the second playboy bunny scene which is just a very see i also don't care about that scene actually i would be happy i would have been happy to cut both of those i don't mind like i didn't mind it i thought it worked well it was just a way to show um, how these girls were in the war and they were obviously used basically yeah i mean again like that one like the dinner table scene has value Mm. it's not narrative value per se and because of that, I think it would, you know, be a streamlined experience. But I guess like this movie, and this is weird to say, this movie has like an episodic nature to it. So much of it is like the crew going to one place and experiencing this one thing, and then that ends, and they go to this other place. Yeah. They're just like hitting these stops along the river before they get to Kurtz. But every um, place along the river is like worse than the last one. You keep getting progressively darker, and something more yeah. terrible happens. Go into the heart of darkness, right? Yeah. Um and I think that's I think that it because of that these extra scenes actually do work to like to make it feel exhausting. Yeah, yeah you're with them the whole time. You're with them the whole time and it is it is painful sometimes truly getting through it. Yeah. Um and it should be said this movie's fucking beautiful. It is. This movie is by far by a very large margin between everything we've watched the most technically gorgeous film uh, that we're talking about today. Yeah. It has some shots that genuinely like blew my, me away. Like there's the one shot at the end of the movie when they finally reach Kurt's village or, or kingdom or whatever you really want to call it. Yeah, Kurt's where held up in an old uh uh ancient temple. temple. I think Cambodian temple. I think they might I can't remember if they said what it was because everybody they mentioned it. Yeah, so I think it was Cambodian, but yeah. um basically, yeah, like there's a shot where the ship finally their boat finally pulls in and there's all of these these little kind of canoes and rafts in front of them with these people in them and they start parting and the people are all like dressed in this white uh paint over them and then behind that you see like the steps into this temple with dozens of soldiers and people there like that shot is kind of breathtaking it's that shot really really gorgeous that shot the shot of the helicopters coming in during the Valkyrie scene, the shot of the fucking jungle yeah. being lit on fire. The whole sequence of the of the Valkyrie bombing is impressive as hell. Like, especially to like to me, because like, you know, this is an older film. It's 1979, so it's just after Star Wars. So special effects have definitely gotten interesting. But the fact that this is all real, uh it, it kind of just leaves you sitting there like, how do they even put this together? You know, like physically get all of these pieces into play to make a sequence like this. And we got plenty to talk about for the behind the scenes. Yeah. Oh yeah. We got plenty to talk about the, how they did that. Um, but like one fucking miracle they did. One particular shot that stays with me is when you see Kurtz for the first time and it's, yeah. it, he comes out of the shadows, but even then you still don't see his face and he's still this 
mysterious, horrifying figure. Yeah. So I, I just watched this movie today, um, literally a few hours ago. So my thoughts on this one are really fresh. Um, I felt like when we watched this movie, I feel like there's two distinct, there's one distinct moment in this film where I feel like the movie, it, it's there's a sudden change, right? And that is the moment they arrive on Kurtz's village because it feels almost like you're stepping out of the war and into something mystical, like almost mythological. There's, there's it's supposed this, to be hell. Yeah. There, I mean, I almost took it as, it, it almost felt beautiful in, 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 a, in a way for me, but like it, it, there's like a, is really a mystical view vision version of all this like seeing these people park their ships for the boat like that seeing all the people standing at attention seeing these stone statues and figures along the side um the way that that kurtz is framed where you can barely see his face as if like looking at him would be too much for the audience to, to comprehend you know there's something yeah. almost deity like to him and the way he's framed in this film and it makes that whole sequence feel like like truly stepping it almost was like stepping out of the mundane and into the surreal when the mundane has been a horrible blood-filled war bath this entire time and the surreal is even more dangerous and fucked up but here's the thing the movie obviously is it's a war movie you're gonna see like like shootings people getting shot and all that it's not as bloody as you expect a war movie to be not at all no i thought it would be much worse no but it, yeah but just... there were some scenes that were that they were saved the bad, violence for like... poignant moments yeah yeah I'll there's still that. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously still violence in the movie, but compared to Saving Private Ryan, Formula Jacket Jacket is way more violent than this. Oh, yeah. Platoon. I did feel like some of the violent scenes in this movie were like the most fucked up parts of it. I think not the most fucked up parts, but like the darker parts of the movie. I, I I think that honestly comes from using it sparringly. When I feel like when a director kind of just like throws blood and gore around constantly, it really dampens its effect so like one good comparison is like I, I we've talked about this before but the watchman movie versus the watchman comic Zack snyder throws blood and gore around the movie all the time to the point that you're basically desensitized to it yeah uh in the comic alan moore and the artist they basically have almost no blood until this final pa- panel where the alien has arrived well alien quote unquote uh has arrived on earth and killed hundreds of people in new york and it's like a visceral moment and it takes it out of you because of how how shocking it is when it yeah. happens. And this movie kind of does that because its violence is so sparring and so carefully used that when it does happen, it it, it is almost churning to the stomach. Yeah, like yeah. I just think of that scene where they um where they board the the boat with the the Asian lady in there. Oh, that scene's fun. And yeah. yeah, where he just shoots him shoots like everybody down on the boat, and turns out they just had a puppy in there. Yeah, she was yeah. trying to protect the puppy. But they, yeah. they saw she was going to do something. Yeah. I just thought it was so, like, weird. Or not weird. I guess, like, in a fucked up way, kind of funny. The guy just gunned him down, and he's like, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, I mean, there is a, tr- uh, a fine line between something that's fucked up and something that's twistedly Definitely funny. funny. I, I, yeah. I mean, for me, most of this movie was a, a very morbid view on... on I, it was a morbid view on a lot of things, actually. Like, I mean, obviously the Vietnamese War and, and war in general, right? But this movie also has a bit to say about like colonialism and about, um, I mean, just kind of conflict and human nature in general. Yeah, you know, the, the, the French scene what, um, about colonialism specifically, which is really what Heart of Darkness is based off of. Yeah, yeah, I I have not read Heart of Darkness. I know very little about it. This is one of the only ones I didn't really get to do much of a. Okay, so summary. from what I remember, this is just like going based off my memory. It was about uh, 
some dude that became like a, a captain for a steamboat of like an ivory company mm-hmm. or something like that. And he like he just goes through like seeing all these horrors throughout the whole thing. Well, throughout his whole journey. I don't remember the whole thing. That's all I really remember. The basis of uh, Heart of Darkness, the book, is what you said is right. It's in Africa. Uh, yeah, he's in the Congo. Yeah, he's in the Congo. So the main character, like you said, he's going up the river, just like in the movie, except instead of to kill Kurtz, the character's name the same. Instead of to kill him, it's to rescue him. That's basically, that, that's all I know for the book. I think it honestly plays a bit more interesting with having him kill him, especially because throughout the movie, he slowly sees himself more like Kurtz. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kurtz clearly reciprocates that because he keeps him alive and kind of like slowly tries, slow, no, slowly succeeds in kind of changing him towards him. Like he converts like him to the dark side. Like uh, effectively, the, yeah. Like he did for the other guy who was tasked with killing him, but then you see that he's still there as a second, second in command. Yeah. Um, I think it's I think it's over really interesting. I think it's such a, a visually gorgeous movie, and it, it 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 tackles so much content. Truly, I mean, um, Coppola Coppola has a famous quote for this movie when he was showcasing it to I forgot what festival or what he was doing. I think it was just promo was for the movie Danish festival or something. Could be that's the he, one where it won its award. I think uh, it won many awards. Yeah, but anyway, oh, it's first one. In, uh, sorry. Okay. Uh, but anyway, his quote was, my movie is not about Vietnam. It is Vietnam. He wanted to make a movie that was showing you what it would be like to actually be in that chaotic place. Yeah, uh, it, truly. Like, this story is, is effectively just going down the road to hell. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Like, that's literally what it is. Um, and I, it's just very interesting once you finally get there and the devil is not what you expected. Because, you know, like you hear so much about Colonel Curse throughout this movie and I knew nothing about what he would be like when we got there. I didn't know very much about this movie going in. Um, but you hear so much about him and he's the special forces guy. He's he's uh, top, of the class. As, you know, having his, uh, top of his class. He has this whole military he's building out here. Um, you know, the moment we get to, to his island or whatever, he's described as a warrior poet. But once we see him, even though he he's, he feels so mystified and and, and almost deity like, uh, he's really a, a tired man. Yep, he's a tired old man. You know, who's clearly and insane by the way he talks. Clearly insane. I mean, Hannibal Lecter style insane. You know, but, but at Hannibal, the same time, Hannibal made more sense half the time. Even though what he was saying did make sense, the way he was saying it, it was like, oh no, you you are gone. Yeah, there's this this fractured way he has of speaking, but it's so compelling to listen to, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, they even they kind of throw a little bit of a what I felt was a little bit of a ham fisted reference there because they have him with the newspaper and he sees the uh, the Manson murders or the Manson killings or whatever. Oh, early on. Early on, when they get there, like when they arrive at Kurtz's island, it's when they arrive because Kurtz has the newspaper. Oh, Kurtz has the newspaper. I thought they were reading that before. No, Kurtz had the newspaper. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so like that felt a little ham-fisted. Like, okay, cult of personality. I I got that. Uh, I wish I kind of wish it wasn't brought attention to, but you know, it's not really a big deal. Um, but yeah, it's just he's not what you expect. It's it's just so interesting when you finally get there, and the devil's nothing like you thought he would be. Yeah, that whole conversation of him and Willard is is like terrifying. Yeah, I mean, every line of dialogue that Marlon Brando has is impressive. 
it, it, also impressive because of that. Uh, he did not read the fucking script. He did not. He did not do shit. He was wasted when he got here. He the reason they kept him from what I read, yeah, eighty-eight pounds overweight. The reason they kept him in the shadows for those shots was because he looked like a fucking mess. Apparently, and the man's also, was thirty-five when he was in this role. Thirty-six, I think. Yeah, he was overweight. He was apparently very conscious of his weight and like shy about it. And then uh, Coppola was like, "All right, I gotta make it." The idea was at first that he was supposed to lose weight because he was supposed to look like a thin, sickly guy out in the jungle with a, with a militia. Instead, uh, they used his weight to be like, oh, okay, he went insane in the jungle and now he has anything he wants and can indulge in himself. Yeah. It's it's interesting because this movie, uh, by all accounts, should not exist. And Tyler, I'll, I'll let you go into that completely because I think you probably know more about it than me. This movie has a mess of a production. It shouldn't exist. And even the things that work super well in it were made up effectively on the spot. They were filming this movie as they were writing it. Um, and then when they weren't writing it, they were in drug-fueled parties. So it, <laughs> this movie has no right to exist whatsoever. But or it be does. this good. Or be, yeah, it, yeah. Tyler, you go, you go into this, please. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of the community quote, because the community spoofed the documentary of the making of Apocalypse Now. And the quote is, you ever see Hearts of Darkness? Way better than Apocalypse Now. Because the story of how this movie was made is so ridiculous. I've seen the documentary. It's obviously not as good as the movie, but the documentary is great in itself. So the movie was supposed to be shot for 16 weeks. The shoot lasted 280 days. Jesus Christ. It also went over budget by millions of dollars, and Coppola was the one who was producing the movie. It was over budget, like, immediately. Yeah, so one of the first things is they filmed the movie in the Philippines. The Philippines during the time had a civil war going on, and they used actual helicopters from the military, so they had a military general on. And one day, the military was like, yeah, we need the helicopters back. The rebels are over the hill. We'll be right back. <laughs> Coppola said. Coppola said, shit, we'll give you three. And then the PA was like, they took five. Fuck. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, Coppola, there's a war going on. They, they fucking need them. It's so fucking ridiculous. That was just one part of it. The opening scene of Mon Sheen dancing when he's completely plastered, he actually punched the mirror because he was actually drunk. Yeah, he had a, he had a real alcoholism problem at that point, and I think he had a, a alcoholism breakdown at some point during shooting. Oh yeah, you see that whole thing in the documentary. You see his breakdown. The breakdown is that scene. They basically he was drinking on his thirty sixth birthday. He said, "All right, just film me. We'll see what we get, and don't stop." And that's what they got: him punching the mirror, rolling over, bleeding from the hand. And in the documentary, you see him, like, cry out, and it's really, really something. Yeah, so that is his real blood. I, like, I don't know if I want to watch that now. I mean, you can, like, the documentary is definitely worth a watch. Also, Martin Sheen yeah. almost died while, he almost died while making the movie. He had a heart attack. Yeah. And also, he had a heart attack, and uh, Frank Coppola had an epileptic seizure during the filming of this film. I didn't know that one. Yeah, he had a fucking seizure during the making of this movie. Also, Tyler, question. Do you know about the typhoon? Yeah, that's the that's the Playboy <laughs> scene. That's the second Playboy scene. hit by a fucking typhoon. Yeah. This movie was cursed in every way. <laughs> hit by a typhoon, 
Lawrence Fishburne is 14. He's playing yeah, a 17-year-old age, but he lied about his age and then was stuck there for 280 days. In the Philippines. He got he got addicted to heroin while on the set, right? Because yeah. he was stuck there? Yeah. Also, the guy... Uh, Chief? No, not Chief. What's the Chef. other guy's name? No, 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 no. What's the other character's oh, name? Yeah, Lawrence? Lance. Lance. Uh, the scene when he was uh, tripping? Yeah, he was actually tripping, right? I don't know if it was actually that scene, but he did take. He he said he took uh, LSD, weed. He's on speed uh, multiple times while shooting. So at some point in the movie, he probably was. I yeah, I heard he was fucked up the entire time while filming. Also, yeah. Also, I want to question that LSD scene. How long is he tripping for? I'll, I'll let you handle that one. I don't know. <laughs> because like he said, apparently he took, long enough. Oh, I think he, when they got to the bridge, and... they got to the bridge, yeah. right? He said he's tripping then, but then I, mm-hmm. doesn't a few days pass and he's still going, or is he just? Uh, well, he's just not weird? tripping. I think at that point he's just lost his mind. Uh, okay, that's what they're going for. Starting, he's already starting to break down as soon as the second bunny scene. Okay, that's what. So I think at that point it's like it's like the blurred line between he's on drugs and he's completely fucking having a breakdown. Yeah. Speaking of that, that bridge scene is also terrifying. Yeah, that bridge scene is um, so they, fucking much. The way it fades out, the sound, and you just hear the Viet uh, the Viet Cong guy. But he like you see it from the American angle, obviously. Mm-hmm. They're shooting into the dark. You don't know how many there are, and you don't know if there's anybody actually out there until you hear the one person. And again, it's yeah. one person who a guy lights up with a grenade launcher. Also, yeah. anytime they talk to the the people shooting, they're like, "Hey, who's the commanding officer?" They say, "Aren't you him?" And then, yeah. and then he asks the other guys, "Like, do you know who's in charge here?" Who just simply says, "Yeah." And walks away. Everyone there is already lost. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 a lot. It's a lot to take in. It's very interesting. God. Um, I think one thing I really like about this movie is that it is very well. Actually, you know, let me start with this. Uh, Vietnam is an interesting war in that it is one of the few wars, um, or it is the first war I would say that was very much not romanticized later on. Right. Yeah. Like you look at World War Two, World War One, uh, Revolutionary War, Civil War. All of these periods have been like heavily romanticized throughout film. Um, and Vietnam is really the first one that like was distinctly not. And this is because Vietnam was one of the first wars to be uh, broadcast to, to television. Right. It is also like the one of the first to technically be considered a loss. Yeah. I mean, even before that, the reason it was a loss because America pulled out because there was such strong vocal support about ending the war. Yeah. And this was again because, like, for the first time ever, uh, the war wasn't just this place that people went off to and then never came back from. It was this yeah. thing you're seeing on your TV as you're watching children catch on fire from napalm. Right. Yeah. So, like, it, it changed the way America viewed war. And because of that, the Vietnam War has produced some of the more interesting films in in cinema in comparison to other wars like you know like world war ii has like movies like private saving private wine uh fury other better ones that i can't think of off the top of my head and they all very much romanticize the war right yeah whereas uh this you know vietnam war has full metal jacket which uh in the first sequence of the film not first sequence but the first half of the film uh one of the characters uh blows his brains out before going to war yeah it has this movie which is a lot it has Rambo, the original Rambo, which people kind of forget is about a Vietnam veteran. I'm pretty sure he holds up a shop and he ends up killing a bunch of cops. I've never people seen People forget that. about the first yeah, Rambo. It was it was 
not what I expected when I watched it as a kid. It was fucking intense and depressing. Yeah, like, the first Rambo, I still need to see, but I know more about it now that it is a movie about a Vietnam War vet with PTSD. It's not this yeah, gung-ho it, action It's part. not an action movie. It was, it was literally a dissection of movies like Commando that eventually became a movie like Commando in the sequels, which is yeah. a, shame, a damn shame. But, you know, beside the point, uh, Vietnamese movies about the Vietnam War are, are just have become so interesting and more introspective because they're not trying to romanticize something that's clearly horribly fucked up. Yeah. And I think this movie does a really good job at that because of how it's it just is it, it, it is yeah the movie just is right it, it is just showing you war in vietnam the good and bad and it's showing you all of it as it is right and it, it also does a really good job of showing you so many ways that every like everything's fucked up right the the, the playboy bunnies are being treated pretty much at objects Innocent civilians are killed constantly. Children are dying. It's it's an absolute fucking mess. You have crazy people on the battlefield and crazy people off the battlefield. And I think one of the scenes that I that it was cut from the movie. It's in the Redux scene. It's in, it's in the on the dinner the dinner scene with the French, where the French people are discussing the merits of America's war in Vietnam and their own experiences now living here. And they basically they have a discussion and touches on colonialism and a bunch of other stuff. But what I found most interesting is when they talk about how. America created the Viet Cong and had funded the Viet Cong in the past to support their own needs and, and to, to weigh trouble in for, for themselves. And um, now it's basically come to bite them in the ass. And I yeah. find that scene really, because that's pretty, America also has done that since yeah, um, they did that with the Taliban. Like most famously, the Taliban was CIA funded during the eighties. Yep. Uh, America creating their own enemies is a pretty fucking common thread in us history. Um, so it, it just touches on so much and it presents it presents everything in an almost objective fashion, you know? Everything just feels like I am here to deliver you the facts of war and how fucked up it is. I'm not here to it's not like it's like trying to sway you that like, hey, the Vietnam War was obviously bad. You should be against it, you know, like a lot of the other movies are. It's just yeah. like here's the Vietnam War. Like exactly. you're gonna realize that because here it is. <laughs> you yeah. know, I don't need to fucking sway you in any way. It's just fucking awful. Yeah, it's exactly what Coppola wanted. It he achieved that. Did by a damn some good job. Yeah, I mean, what all you everything you said was right. I said it before on a different episode that I wasn't, I'm not too hot on like historical or like war movies in general. Mm-hmm. The exception being Vietnam War movies because they go into why they are terrible. They're so much more interesting, and it's you know it's it's weird. It's a shame. This is going to sound kind of weird. This might sound a little bit fucked up even. I'm going to say it. It's a shame that we haven't got that from movies about the wars in the Middle East. Because there's kind of a similar through line in that. Too soon. I Yeah, I think Maybe. that it's still know, like kind of ongoing. This movie's 1979, right? What year was the Vietnam War ended? 68? Yeah, but oh, by that time, okay. there were already, there was a bunch, you, like you said, the vocal opposition to it's, the war. It ended in 75. Say 75. Yeah. Um... But like you're right, there was a vocal opposition to the war at that time. But like there was also there has been a pretty vocal opposition to the war in the Middle East for the past. Well, it's been less on the focus of people's minds now, but definitely during the Obama administration, there was a vocal focus on pulling out of the Middle East. Yeah, like I, I think after that's after 9/11, everyone was all war in the Middle East, and then during like the second half of the second Bush um, administration, I'd say is when it, it became okay, finally okay again to say, oh, we shouldn't be at war in the Middle East fucking constantly for the next ten years. I think that it's because we still have soldiers out in the Middle East that you can't really. Well, that's why they're shying away from making a movie like 
apocalypse now about the Middle East. It's like I feel like so many movies that are about the the wars in the Middle East are so uninteresting. And, yeah. and maybe that's just like, I haven't seen the right ones. But I think about movies like Hurt Locker, which is like, sure, it's about veterans and PTSD and stuff, but it doesn't really have anything interesting to say about the time or the context or the any anything really, you know, that I feel like I haven't seen before. Mm. Uh, and it feels like they should be able to. It feels like it should be very easy to because I can see that the wars in the Middle East and the war in Vietnam have certain through lines. It's an enemy we created ourselves. It's could be quite easily seen as an extension of American imperialism the same way that the Vietnam War was. Um, you know, it, it's the same churning of bodies and this this war machine that is the that became like the U.S. in the Middle East. So it feels like you know that, that this is a prime period of time for an interesting introspective film, uh, but it's not been made yet that I can think of. And instead, the movies we've got they almost sometimes they feel romanticized, sometimes they feel a little bit on the grim dark side, but they don't feel none of them feel interesting. Not to uh, the and that's just a weird now. thing. Yeah, that's just a weird thing that I've noticed. Like Rambo, again, I'm coming back to Rambo because it, it is such an interesting concept um, to take. And it, it is a bit more ham-fisted in the way it does it, but it's still unique, drastically unique. And yeah. we haven't gotten anything like that. And I just kind of feel like that's a weird thing so far. Yeah, all of them just feel like the, I don't know, they just feel too like typical war movies. Yeah, so so standard. Yeah. But I do want to go into one one weird, basically a total side tangent. So I wrote in our notes, uh, Luke Skywalker, um, which yeah. totally seemed completely out of place when talking about this movie. But the reason I brought that up is because for before you get George going, Lucas is this rant, oh, rant going to make sense? Is this rant going to yes, make sense? Yes, it will, because it's not a rant. It's not an opinion rant. It's just me stating some weird facts. Okay. So in George Lucas's version of the sequel trilogy, he said he wanted George Lucas to be a Colonel Kurtz character. He wanted him to be like Colonel Kurtz. I can't remember the exact quote, but it was it was to the effect he wanted his, uh, his version of Luke to be Colonel Kurtz hiding away and doing some stuff, right? And I had never seen Apocalypse Now, so I didn't know the extent of what that might have meant. I took it to refer to, oh, he wanted Luke to be hiding away somewhere, kind of like what we got in The Last Jedi, but maybe to a higher extreme. After seeing Apocalypse Now and seeing the character that is Colonel Kurtz, uh, I kind of wonder what the fuck he was planning. <laughs> yeah, I do. I want to know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I, I don't think I would have liked it. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Like, it's so weird. It maybe he was talking about. The, it's interesting. Maybe he was saying he wanted Luke to, like, be building up his own personal militia outside the government and be this figure outside of it, which interesting. Not. Ne- I don't know if I necessarily I don't know what he was planning. I don't know if I like that, but I think it's certainly an interesting idea. I might have preferred that for a character other than Luke, but I, I don't be against it. Yeah, I really don't know what he was like, what he wanted with that. Because Did I always you... just assumed, because I've never seen this movie, that it just meant hiding away, you know, in shame or hiding away somewhere because I didn't know anything about the character of Kurtz. But clearly, this character goes in a very unique direction that I don't know if would have matched Star Wars. Or what the fuck it would have been like. Yeah, I don't know. It, I... I do wish there was like even just a script, like a like a script or something out there. Because like we we me and Faison, all three of us actually, we've talked about uh, bits and pieces of George Lucas's plans for the sequel trilogy, and there's a lot of stuff that goes pretty out there. Yeah, and some of it, some of it ended up getting folded into the current film. Some of it got left behind. Some of it got reshaped into ways that were either worse or better, depending, right? But this is a fucking weird one. This is a very it's strange really one. Weird. Feels nothing like I would expect it going into this movie, and even less so as what I would expect Luke Skywalker to be like in the sequel trilogy. Did you know that he was supposed to do this? Mark Hamill? 
George Lucas. Uh, what? <laughs> Did you know that he was supposed to do Apocalypse Now? That would have been such a stunted movie. He was supposed to do Apocalypse Now. He also did part of the script. Interesting. That's so oh. interesting. Watch the documentary. <laughs> I wonder if maybe that's probably why he felt this way about Luke. I, that's that's interesting. Yeah. That's very strange. Yeah, watch yeah, the documentary. I just, I, I'll get to that. I Yeah, I just wanted to mention that this is what Luke was supposed to be somewhat like to some degree. And it's very strange. And like the pre wanted part of the movie to be them like going on the journey up the river to get Kurtz and in the same way of like them going up the river, quote unquote, allegorically, metaphorically. Well, why do you um, think how get... it's the movie? Holy shit. And he named, isn't his, uh, his, his initial is like G Lucas, Lucas right? Yeah. yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Um, God, that's weird that there's my Star Wars line actually tied more into the movie than I thought it would. Yeah. Very strange. Yeah. The, again, the documentary. You can jokingly say that it's better than the actual movie. Again, it's not, but it is a great documentary. Interesting. I I definitely do want to see that. Yeah. Um. I think I think one one major I think one thing we can now talk about uh, is the climax of the film. Well, before the we final... get there, oh, no, we, there's one thing we didn't talk about, and it's the line that everyone knows from this movie is "I love the smell of napalm in the morning." Yeah. Yeah. It's that... funny from how much I've heard it quoted, I would have expected a different read. Oh yeah. I didn't expect it to go the way it did. So yeah. it's said by Robert Duvall's character, uh, Captain or Colonel, whatever. He's a Kilgore. His name is Kilgore. And he's this general or commanding officer. But he enjoys the war. He definitely Wait. enjoys the war. He just does, he tells a story. He Yeah, he says a line. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. And. And he goes on by telling a short story about how he remembers one time he bombed, he and his uh, platoon bombed this hill for 12 hours, killed everybody there, and, and he described the smell as victory. And after he says that, he takes a pause and says, someday this war is going to be over. When he says that, he's not saying the war is going to be over like he's hoping it ends. He's saying that he's because he's going to go home and he's, that he doesn't want that. Because he's good at war. Jeez, yeah, that it's just it's, it's things about it's fucked up, and it's, it's like people always quote that one kind of as a joke, but it's like, man, the context of that line is real fucked up. Yeah, he got a Jeez. he got a nomination for eleven minutes of screen time. That's a that's a bit of a strange one, but yeah, that's true. I, I mean, I, he was great in those eleven minutes. Those are good eleven minutes. You're not wrong. And Marlon Brando was better in his twenty. That's also much more true. Arlen Brando is deserves a lot. The, yeah. The, after watching this movie, I made a whole new category that we we're eventually going to do called the uh, Oscar winners that shouldn't have won because Apocalypse Now got eight nominations and lo- eight nominations, won two of them, but lost the fucking Kramer versus Kramer, which is Marriage Story, which is just Marriage Story. I haven't seen it, but that's what that movie is. <laughs> and it lost to that movie. Uh, in a, like Best Picture? or They lost to Best Picture, Best Director. Martin Sheen wasn't even nominated. So, I know, okay. Cop- I know Coppola was pissed as fuck. He, must have, he, he dedicated his fuck. He nearly died doing this movie. After, it, the movie <laughs> basically ruined him because afterward he never made a movie as successful as both critically... He never made a movie as good as this. 
I mean, it's hard to make a movie as good as this one. Yeah, yeah and he made about. Godfather. He made the Godfathers. That's a good fucking movie. The first two. I mean, he did all three. He did all three. I mean, he did all first three. Two were good. He did all. Two he, were good. he did the first two. He didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do a third one for a while, but then eventually did do it because he he was losing money. He made yeah. this. Yeah, and then he. Uh, everyone knows that the third one's not that good. I never yeah. saw it because I heard it's not that good. Hey, I've been meaning to get to it, but I haven't had the chance. Yeah, it's not but, that the, <laughs> but yeah, no, this movie deserved way more than it got for fucking. Um, Concerned the fact that people consider it the best movie, or like the, it's in like the best movies of all time list, like yeah, crazy that it didn't even win like best picture. It didn't win. No, didn't win best picture. I don't know how. The actor from Kramer vs. Kramer, Dustin Hoffman, won Best Actor while Martin Sheen wasn't even nominated. It's kind after, of ridiculous. After all the shit that man was through. And again, Marlon Brando um, should have been nominated along with uh, Robert Duvall, even though neither of them won. Yeah. I think at this point we can talk about the, the climax of the movie, though. Because that is really good. The last five or so minutes of the film... Once are, the song hits back in, when the song back hits back in, and it's it's Wilford versus, um, Kurt, Kurt, yeah, yeah. versus Kurt, yeah, the and they're movie, fighting, and there's a cow getting killed in the background, in a yeah. sacrificial like tribal thing, an actual a uh, real cow, a real real cow getting killed in a real tribal ritual. Yeah, yeah they allowed that, that scene to go through because like, hey, it's their culture, and then uh, Coppola's wife said. Uh, Coppola's wife was the one who got all the footage for the documentary, and she was the one to tell him, hey, they're going to kill a cow. You should probably like come and see this. So he sees them kill a cow, and I'm guessing he shot the scene again later because they, they, they did the tribal scene. Uh, not the tribal scene. They had that ritual a couple of times, whatever tribe they were, and I guess he just used one actual one when the cow gets killed in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the actual final fight with Wolford and Kurtz is pretty fucking brutal, despite the fact that you can't see anything. Yeah. 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 And it, it ends on Kurtz saying a famous last line, the horrors, which is another very quoted line that had a very different read than I expected. What, uh, horror, those were also his, uh, his the, like, the last words of uh, In Heart of Darkness. I'm oh, pretty sure. Interesting. Yeah. Well, the ending, the ending at right at the very end, um, Wilford basically looks through uh, this thing that this kind of like screen. What was it? It was like a book, I guess that he had written. It was basically, if you want to call it a manifesto, you can call it that. Yeah, manifesto. And in the manifesto is written in like marker. Um, what was it? It was drop the bomb, exterminate them all. Yeah. And I want to kind of wonder what you guys think that line means, because I actually, because me and Tati just watched it, right? And we both had a different take on what it meant. And then when researching it, what other people feel it meant is something else completely. So I'm kind of curious to see what you guys think that line means in the context of the movie. I thought it was everyone that that wasn't with him. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was thinking as well. So like, like what? Like basically if they're not with him, bomb them. If they were actively going against them, okay, like the people so, that constantly tried to to uh, kill him, even like if he couldn't turn them to his side, he they would eventually die. 
See, okay, so going to be different takes all around. Uh, Toddy's take was basically that he was referring to the village he was in, that effectively kind of like a, a burning, a scorching earth campaign here. On he's himself? dead. Yeah, he's dead. Uh, if you're reading this, he's dead. Drop the bomb, eliminate them all. And that he's referring to this tribe of people that he's with. That there's no point to it anymore. Right? Okay. My take was not that. My take, um, the first thing I think about if I hear the words drop the bomb, exterminate them all, uh, was Hiroshima, right? Not like the the ending of World War II. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought that might be relevant to this because basically throughout the whole movie, Kurtz is saying that he could win this war if he had in just a few of the right type of people, right? Just a few good men and he can pretty much end the war despite the fact that nobody else could and he could end it faster and more efficiently than the government ever could, right? That's what he's trying to do building this army. Yeah, he needed killers who didn't care. He needed killers who couldn't care, but he couldn't find those people here. And that's kind of why at the end he's so weary and given up because really the only person he seemed to be able to find like that would be Wilford, right? Yeah, Willard Willard eventually becomes that guy and he knows it too. So when I see uh, drop the bombs, exterminate them all, it made me think of kind of like, it, it, it reminded me of, the the actual dropping of the bombs in in the end of world war ii in that instead of a few good men it was it was two good bombs and it was a quick way to end the war without this prolonged campaign that was expected to happen over the course of the world war ii and that is expected to happen and does happen over the course of the vietnam war kind of like an ends justify the means type of manifesto drop the bomb eliminate them all uh, yeah. if you give me the right tools i'll end it quickly uh despite the amount of casualties and how many people I have to wipe out to do it. So that was that. my take. That was what I, I took watching it. What seems to be a popular belief, and one that I actually quite like, uh, drop the bomb, eliminate them all, is effectively uh, a statement on everybody. Humanity is too far gone. We are too fucked up. We do so many horrible things to each other. We kill, we rape, we do all these terrible things during the war that Kurtz has seen and that Wilford has now seen. Just drop the bomb, eliminate them all. Yeah, the only way to like come back from it is to just get rid of everything. Rid of all of it. Everything's we're all too far fucked up. Just get it all over with. Get rid of us all. We're all fucking monsters. Okay, I, I, that I think that all of these are pretty interesting takes. I just yeah. was curious to see what your takes would be on them. Um, yeah, no, I can see. I, I it to be an interesting line to end on. What? That it's a very one. interesting line to end on. Honestly, mm. it's a very open line to end on. I mean, yeah, there was there's a distinct four different interpretations here that we have. You know. Mm. Uh, and probably plenty more out there for other people to take on. Uh, but I, I just find it to be a really good ending. Apparently, that's in the Heart of Darkness book. So, you know, I, apparently, that's what I, I saw somewhere. I think um, that's if right. If that's the case, then that would apply more to probably towards, considering it's Heart of Darkness, uh, the, the the way of the get rid of everybody we're too far gone. I mean, yeah. I'd, say, like, I'd say it'd be a broader sense of humanities we've all done such horrible things drop the bomb all right so i would think maybe that might be the the author intended take of that line mm-hmm. but you know death of the author and all that so yeah. what you something s- interesting I want to bring up. what you said before about well what we said before about uh kurtz wanting killers it reminded me of when you see him for the first time his line with uh with willard when he said are you an assassin and willard said i'm a soldier and he simply said, "You're an errand boy sent by a For clerk yeah. to cat to pay the bill." That's a fucking great line. Every line Marlon said. Again, okay, so we we spoke about how Marlon had weight issues 
even beside that, the man didn't, you said it before, Chris, the man didn't read the script. He didn't read Heart of Darkness like uh, Coppola wanted him to. Yeah. He, uh, he basically went on an 18-minute improvised rant and then said, if that's not enough, could you, Coppola, find another actor? Basically. But he that's how he was. That's how he got these performances because he thought that him reading the script wouldn't give him a performance as good if he just... Genuine if he just read the line first and that's all you got, because that was mm-hmm. what he was doing. And it worked brilliantly for this anytime he spoke. Fantastic. I mean, just there's so many quotes in that, just that one scene where they meet. Like when he said, uh, when uh, Willard describes what the mission was and he says, are my methods unsound? And, he, and then Willard just says, I don't see any method at all, sir. Yeah. And it's funny because you said this is the movie that ruined Capola and that he was not able to produce a film afterwards that's better. This is also kind of the movie that ruined Marlon Brando because he never did anything particularly critically praised again. I checked on IMDb to see what movies he did afterwards. And he did Superman and then hmm? he did Superman and did something else, didn't he? I don't I didn't even see Superman, honestly. Yeah, Superman came out. Wait, did it come out after or before? I think it came out before because I did not see it afterwards. Uh, let's see. Nine. Superman uh, was nineteen seventy eight. It was a year before. Yep. Uh, Superman was. Before. So yeah, his his are... future films were the many hits such as the score, the Island of Doctor Moreau. Oh, he's apparently the freshman. Like, he was an asshole on that one. Yeah. Well, apparently, yeah. Pretty much nothing particularly good was done after this. Actually, the, yeah. he's he's very odd the way he's because Marlon Brando on set is apparently very problematic because he wants to get his way and stuff like that but apparently he did that he it's an asshole thing to do but he did that as a way to see if the director would actually basically tell him to shut up it's because he if he someone said shut up to him he'd be like all right you obviously respect movie making enough to tell me to shut the hell up and do what I'm doing but half the time people just caved and that allowed him and then he and then he, and then he took that as, oh, okay, you're just doing this for money. All right, I'm just going to do this for money too. You just want my name on it because you know it's going to get people in the seat. Interesting. That's interesting. I actually really like that. Chaotic um, control. <laughs> yeah, completely. Jeez. But yeah, he never did anything particularly good after this. So it's kind of the movie that that finished them both, which is twisted and cruel and kind of perfectly fitting. Yeah, yeah. I was just about to say it's very fitting for this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that the use of the doors, the uh, the end, which opens the movie and yeah. and the movie might be one of the best uses of a song in any movie I've seen. Yeah, I would agree with that. Actually, pretty much a hundred percent. It's also um, funny that the version you hear in the movie is not the version of the song that was played anywhere else. Really? So the song, the basic of the song is the same, except there's one part in the song where the lead singer Jim Morrison goes on a more or less rant where he's just yelling fuck a couple of times. He's just yelling kill, kill, kill. And you hear all this him yelling fuck in the movie. You hear that. In the actual mix of the song, that's buried in the music. You can't hear that. They purposely did that because they wanted the song to be played on the radio. But they accidentally oh, gave Coppola... They accidentally gave Coppola... Oh, yeah. They gave Coppola the uh, original cut. And what the fuck? Why are it. the accidents in this movie so perfect? Why do the accidents make the movie better? Yeah. 
what the fuck? This movie is a genuine, like, like stars aligning. The planets getting in fucking orbit. It's like, what? It was literally God, Destiny or some shit. Like, I don't know, man. Oh, I still, right more fun, I still have more fun facts from this movie. Did you know some of the dead bodies were actual dead bodies? Well, I didn't need to, but thank you. Surprise, though. <laughs> they, yeah, hide, they killed a cow. Yeah, they hired a guy to obviously, like, get props and dead bodies, except the guy was a grave robber. <laughs> what, the what the fuck is this movie uh, again i'm not surprised also oh my God, uh, i really the photojournalist character is kind of based on a true story i mean like photojournalists get uh taken more or less yeah so yeah dennis hopper's character is the photojournalist and uh he and Ball and Brando did not get along. Fantastic. Nice. And it was all because of a misunderstanding. So the story goes nice. is that uh, Marlon was embarrassed that he didn't read the book. And like Francis was giving him shit for it. And then uh, Dennis Hopper idolized Marlon Brando. And as a joke, he said, I bet you didn't read this either. And he was holding like a diary book for his character. Marlon took it as he's making fun of me for not reading the book. And then from that moment on, he's like, all right, I know we have one scene together. You shoot your shit first and then I'll do me. But then after that, nothing else. Jesus. Well, he didn't know. No, but Dennis Hopper didn't know he didn't read the book. Oh, okay. He was just trying to make conversation and then he picked the wrong words. What the? What is, this movie makes no fucking. It, it has no it right to exist. <laughs> it has no right to exist. Two years in the editing room, and it has no fucking right to exist. What the fuck? It's a miracle. It's a god, absolute miracle. Any final thoughts on it? It's a miracle. <laughs> it's a miracle. And community community's parody of the documentary is very good. Very good, actually. I love that that episode. Did you watch it the other day? Uh, I did not, but I remember it. I remember it very vividly. I kind of can't, can't forget about it. Uh, yeah, I try my best a, to forget. As a Marlon Brando saying, I'm horrible, I'm horrible. <laughs> I can't get it out of my head. Why are you doing this to me? But I yes, yes, I do remember. Yeah, I, watched it's, it's I watched the episode yesterday and the scene where the Dean uh, terrorizes Britta and Troy by making them hug a billion times and then threatens <laughs> to segregate the school if they do it wrong again. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. That's a good community is a good show. Go watch community if you're feeling depressed after watching Apocalypse Now. Yeah, and go back into that Apocalypse Now of that episode because it's just so funny. Yeah. He is god. he is Coppola. The yeah, Dean pretty much in that, scene, in that episode. So uh on that note, our lists, rankings. One movie Three? got completely fucked over and it's this one. I disagree with that partially. But Start with three. Ten things. Yeah, ten things. I'm going to give it to O Brother Where Art Thou. Because I have an actual problem with O Brother Where Art Thou, which is the ending, basically. Well, right before the ending. The yeah. Climax. I genuinely kind of just... I, that that falls completely I'm flat. Really, like, fucked you over? Yeah, it kind of did. Like I liked what a lot of the movie, the movie what it was doing. Um, I liked a lot of the ideas there. I liked the performances. But that really dr- kind of fucks me over there. And I, I just kind of drops the ball for me there. Understandable. Yeah. yeah, I feel like it's fair. I feel like Tyler even kind of said that you know this one might be my three. 
Um, I actually enjoyed it a lot more respected, but still, I just I enjoy my number two more. And with that in mind, two. Oh, brother. Oh, brother. Uh, 10 Things I Hate About You. Yeah. Uh, this movie brings joy. Uh, just pure joy. A lot of joy. I, I'm happy when I watch this film. Yeah. And this what are you funny. when you watch your number one? When I'm, I watch my number one, I just kind of want to, I want to smoke a cigarette and I don't smoke. True. <laughs> I want to sit down on the roof of my house in the middle of the night looking at the moon lit only by a cigarette. That's all I want when I watch that movie. Yeah, you want to yeah. come on the shadows like Kirk's did? Yeah, pretty much. And that's, it's, it, it, yeah, number one, Apocalypse Now. I think we can all just say that. <laughs> it's really good. It's a really good film. It's, it's morbid and hard to watch. And like the thing that I found hard about this list, particularly, is we always watch this list based on how much we like the movie, right? Yeah. But Apocalypse Now is not a movie you are meant to experience any positive emotion with. Yeah, not at all meant to be pretty much beaten by this movie is meant to beat your meet your shit in that's what it's trying to do so like watching comparing that to a movie that brings me unbridled joy like 10 things i hate about you is fucking weird because it's like choosing to like hit myself in the face or like get ice cream it, it, it yeah. i don't know why i'm picking getting myself hitting myself in the face but I, it's very art artistly done you know i you also can't of that many movies that like punch me in the face like apocalypse now did it's weird because it's not shock. It's never shock value. It's never like a quick way of hurting the audience. It's this slow chipping at you. Yeah, it's just it's just breaking you down slowly, like a thousand cuts, just until by the end of it, you're tired. Would you watch? I it think again? Movie maybe, I, I might in the right circumstances. It would take a. I feel like it needs to be. I need to be in the right reason to watch Apocalypse Now. You if know, it, whereas it, like ten things I can watch at a time. If it was on TV and you saw it, would you continue watching? Probably not. I would need to start this movie from the beginning to if I'm ever going to watch it. There's no point in watching this movie. You don't you don't watch a journey in the middle. You know what I mean? You don't start uh, a journey halfway. I mean, fair, but I'm the opposite with it because I love everything about the movie. And no matter what scene it is, I would probably continue watching. Because, I mean, the one on, TV, I... one on TV is not the three-hour version. It's a regular cut, right? Yeah. I don't think I could. I feel like if I was to watch it in in like a piece like that, it would almost be diminishing the experience that is created in this movie. Because that I think is a good way to call this. This is this is less of a traditional movie and more of an experience. Yeah, it's I mean, very unique. You're not going to get this anywhere else, and it is going to wear you down. That's another uh, fun fact: is that Coppola wanted to have an experience to viewing the movie. He wanted to rent out a theater. I forgot if it was a, a theater or an outdoor theater. But it doesn't matter. He wanted to rent it out and show this movie in the middle of the country and you would only be able to see it in that one spot. And if you wanted to show it again, like, and it would only be there for a certain time. And if you wanted to show it again, you'd have to ask him. And I can only imagine seeing this movie. First of all, if I want to see this movie on a big screen. This movie would yeah, be ridiculous it. in mm -hmm. the theater. Mm -hmm. Two, if he actually did that insane version where you go out into the middle of nowhere and watch it, that would also be surreal. That'd be fucking trippy. Very. I, mean, I feel uncomfortable. I feel uncomfortable just talking about it. The movie is like, people describe it as like a like a psychedelic war movie or a fever dream. It just feels like that because it just feels like that. It feels yeah, that's the best way to put it. It's it so is, hot. Everyone in the movie feels, is ninety degrees. Yeah, it, it feels ethereal. You know that 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 mysticism that we talked about in the final sequence with Kurtz. 
it, it kind of penetrates the existence of this movie almost. When maybe Willard even the fact, the fact that it shouldn't exist, like Willard coming yeah, out of the like, water like a like a demon. None of this, not like this movie should has no right to exist it has no right to be this good it has no right to feel this way when it seems it's, it seems like it was slapped together with whatever parts they managed to scrounge during a fucking typhoon yep. while their director was having a heart attack and their lead was an alcoholic like none of this should be here the fact that this is here is like either a miracle or like a sign of the fucking end times it it doesn't make sense and we, i it, it compels the shit out of me though we talked about this movie for 45 minutes and we still didn't like talk about half of the amazing quotes in there either. We can't, we can't, we haven't even talked about how we can't talk about half the amazing scenes. Truly. This yeah. movie is, uh, you know, it is, it is, it's, it's a, it's a much, I think it, I think it counts as a must watch. Even if you only ever watch it once, I think it's an experience enough to be worth watching once. Yeah. yeah. It's a masterpiece. It's not, it's not my is- favorite thing though. It's not my favorite thing that we've ever watched on this show, but, it's damn good. And probably in the top five things that we've watched on the show. I don't yes. think it's, no, it's not my favorite, but I would say that it might be the greatest. On a technical aspect. Yeah. I think I might agree purely on a technical aspect. I think this might be the best film, the best put together film we watched here. Right now. I'm just impressively. Thinking, I'm honestly just thinking about the first thing we hear Kurt say, not even when we meet him. Cause they have a clip when Willard gets the mission, they play a, a clip of him, uh, of Kurt speaking to show that he's gone insane. And the quote is, I had a dream last night about a snail moving along a straight razor and lived. And that alone just is chilling. And that's the binge. Thank you guys for watching. This yeah. has been a, a hell of an episode with a hell of a good couple of movies. It has. Yeah. If you like what we do here, please like, follow. I don't know what the terms are. Please. Apple Music, YouTube, uh, Spotify, whatever you're listening to us on right now, there's probably a button you can click. Feel free to leave a review. Let us know we should watch less. Let us let us know if you've seen Apocalypse Now and if it left you spiraling into depression or insanity. Uh, or insanity. Let us know. Are you are you Kurtz now? Did this movie break you? Because it sure as hell to beat the shit out of me. It did something. Oh man, that's for sure. Yeah, it did a number on me. I'm gonna be thinking about this movie for a long time. It's gonna stick with me. Yeah. On that note, we'll see you guys. Listening. Yeah.